You're listening to Find the Good News, Episode 46, The Temple of the Giant, a road trip edition featuring Claire Hebert Marceau. Find the Good News is produced by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. See what else we do at parkerbrandup.com. It's Unwind Wednesday, and I've got another special road trip edition for you featuring Cameron Parish Port Director Claire Hebert Marceau. Claire invited me to the Gulf Coast for this special episode, and I've crafted up a bonus video component that should give you a sense of the space we visited in. Claire's heart is big, big enough for the whole parish, and I'm thankful she invited me in. Next week's episode features Braylon Jenkins, the talent behind the show Wide Awake with Bray J. Braylon has had a passion for media since he was in high school, and he's been making efforts to use that passion to get a message out. The road hasn't always been easy, but Braylon's using his talents to make his way in spite of the obstacles he's faced. Following Braylon's episode, I'll have episodes launching featuring Mike Brignac, Kayla Rigney, Dewana's Closet, and Jim and Jelly's Comfort Sauce. I'm still working through the logistics for the 50th episode of Find the Good News, but if it all works out, then I should have something fun for you to listen to. Wonderful suggestions for future guests keep coming in. I want you all to know that I do follow up on these suggestions. Fortunately, most of the leads have worked out, so keep your ears tuned to the show and your suggestions just might show up. If you're looking for a way to support this podcast, the easiest thing you can do is to visit iTunes and leave a review and a rating. It may not seem like much, but those ratings and subscriptions really do help get the good news out to more listeners. Another way you can support this show is to follow Find the Good News on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. If you feel moved to do it, share a link to this episode with your social network. I feel like that's more than enough announcements for today. Let's turn the key and the volume, settle into our comfort zone, open our minds, get all the good feelings queued up, and press play on a little good news. We walk around people every day, passed by strangers, carried by the momentum of our own agendas, desires, worries, and goals. What happens when we slow things down, get out of the pulling and hauling, drive away from the path we're familiar with, and point our compass towards someone else's world? What happens when we listen to their story and they graciously offer us port and harbor inside their heart? That's the type of journey I experienced when I drove south towards the Gulf Coast and visited with Cameron Parish Port Director Claire Hebert Marceau for this road trip episode of Find the Good News. There is no fabricated care, forced love, or feigned concern with Claire. When I sat with her at Rutherford Beach in Cameron, it was immediately apparent that I was visiting with a living spiritual heart that is connected to the lifeblood and history of the land. Gulf waves gently crested on the beach and washed away as I talked with Claire. Coastal birds offered their audience and added songs to our conversation. While there were a plethora of things to stimulate my eyes, ears, and mind, it was Claire's passion for Cameron that consumed my full attention. Her heart is so expansive, so open, and so complete, not unlike the slumbering giant that is the Gulf of Mexico. And it contains a history that runs the full spectrum of Cameron's sorrows and joys. As the Cameron Parish Port Director, Claire is intimately connected to the upper echelon of global affairs that affect the economics and lives of everyone in Southwest Louisiana. This space in which she operates is far beyond the scope of the average citizen. And while this work is impressive, it is this shared space where she takes off her shoes and puts her feet in the sand with everyone else that moved my spirit the most. Claire Bear Marceau feels the pain and loss that the people of Cameron suffered from the berserker winds and surge of Hurricane Rita, 
and she still weeps at the ghosts that haunt a coastline forever changed by Rita's wrath. Claire's heart is wide enough to contain the happiness and the sorrows of what has come before, and it is getting bigger still to make room for the good news that comes with the life-giving work she is doing for this Gulf Coast region she calls home. Wake up, it's morning, you're dreaming up a story I can hear the way it's going, cause you're laughing in your sleep on the path to your deliverance and a holy Lord light pouring through your window. Old news, and I'm bad news, fake news. Sometimes you want to hit the road and get away from it all. With Find the Good News Road Trips, I get behind the wheel and seek out good people doing good works. I travel the highways, byways, and back roads to seek out artists, educators, civic and spiritual leaders, musicians, business owners, students, volunteers, and everyday citizens who are using their creativity, resources, and talents to bring hope and happiness to the places and spaces that hold meaning for them. In each episode, I journey into the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests. We have down-to-earth conversations about relatable things going on in their lives and in their communities. I uncover the critical life experiences that shaped them, the environments that nurtured them, and the fundamental beliefs that have anchored them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of news on the open road. My name is Oren Parker, and you're invited to take this road trip with me to find the good. About the show I was like I wonder if you know it makes people uncomfortable for it makes them engage like for me it makes me engage more but I had I did an interview the other day where I was interviewed and they brought something up about uh, going too far with people sometimes because they said some people guard things because they don't want it out in the world and so if you're if you go inside of them and then you bring something out you have to be prepared to be with them with whatever comes out because if you're not prepared to do that, don't go there. And I was like, I never even considered that. You know, I guess it was just always in my mind that if, if something comes up and somebody wants to talk about it, then we're just there for it. You know, we're going to stick it out no matter what it takes. But I never considered that some interviewers have deep conversations with people and then they're like looking at their watch going... Okay, sorry that you're it's emotional right up. now, but it's time to wrap it up. And I was like, man, that's actually, to be quite honest, now that we're talking about that, that kind of really broke my heart when our first interview got screwed up. And so, just so everybody knows, uh, this is our second go-round, right? Yeah. I mean, we had a really good conversation. Um, you know, blessing and curse, it's like trying to find a silver lining I was almost in tears, honestly. I think, I, I know that I, I don't particularly care for the phrase, there's a reason for everything. I, I just, I, I, in some ways I, I deeply agree with it. And in some ways I deeply resist it. Yeah. So I think for me, my perspective of that first meeting with you was a way to 
to get to know you outside of the podcast that I've been listening yeah. to yeah. so that we could do this today. You know what? I think that's exactly how I, I took it, too. You know, I, and I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I have this conversation a lot with people because I, I just listened to a, a guy talk about something about, um, which I guess it's kind of relevant, about people assuming that they're chosen right like being a chosen race or a chosen country or a chosen culture or a chosen person and how you can look out through history and you can see where people go oh well these good things have happened they've aligned therefore we must be chosen or special and so sometimes we can look at things like like what happened right Mm -hmm. with our conversation and go oh well it didn't work out but now we have this blessing on the other side so it must be meant to be it must be or it could be that we just made the we're making the best out of it Mm -hmm. you know and i like that i like what you're saying it's like hey you know yeah we had a we had a great conversation i got a lot out of it and i I assume you did too and so now we get to this is actually better yes now now you get to see the gulf of mexico and this beautiful beach yeah okay so for people listening um this is a road trip episode so i actually and i just got through telling you this before we were recording i'm a little ashamed of myself you know i live on in carlos on highway right off of highway 27 so going to holly beach i've done that a lot of times and i take my kids down there not a lot a lot but i mean you know many times a year but i don't ever come this way you know, and man, what a treat it was. I mean, honestly, if I wouldn't have known that I had to be here because we had we were planning to meet at 10 o'clock, I just kept seeing things. Oh, I got to stop and look at this. Oh, I got to take some video of that. As a producer and a content creator, my mind was just in overdrive. I saw so many things I just wanted to stop and look at. And so that's what's awesome about this new format we're doing with road trips is now we get to talk and then anything we talk about is just going to put like little push pins in my mind so when I drive back to where I come from I get to kind of take everything we talk about and apply it and get and, and just make this nice day for people Absolutely. and what I hope will happen is people go hey I want to make that trip I want to well, go to that place that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to do this because what you're doing is you're setting the stage for some intrigue and uh, I think that oftentimes my um, so a friend posted on Facebook a picture of a, a floating tiki hut where people can jump on and buy some drinks and maybe some snacks and float down a river or in a body of water and my comment was uh, the 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 person who posted it actually I think it was Erica McCready or so, someone in that circle yeah um, the creative group um, in Southwest Louisiana oh yeah they're on vacation together <laughs> yeah, yeah I hate them um, <laughs> yeah and so and so my res- so the, the question was mentioned how do we get this in Lake Charles and my comment was come to Cameron Oh, wow. You know, I try to throw it in every time I can. Um, and the people in our region who uh, I am, who I interact with most, I think when they look at me, they see Cameron Parish. Yeah. Because I'm constantly talking about what's going on in, in the communities in Cameron Parish. And um, I think often rural, isolated areas are overlooked in terms of what they have to offer culturally or in terms of tourism or ecotourism or just uh, peace and tranquility and solitude. Yeah. My favorite part of our beaches in Cameron Parish, we have 26 miles of publicly accessible beaches in Cameron Parish. Uh, there's the the Cajun Riviera side, the Holly Beach um, environment, and Long Beach and Mays Beach and Pivato Beach. There's an Audubon bird sanctuary at Pivato. We've got right behind us uh, 
uh, signs posted about the, the nesting birds. We've got uh, further toward the east, uh, toward Rockefeller Refuge, a different sort of kind of beach. The, the, the biggest difference about the beaches that we have here in Cameron Parish, and I, this is going to circle back to my point about my favorite place to go. So the, the, the material on the beaches in Cameron Parish, because we're part of the Chenier Plain, is not the granules of sand that you see in Destin or um, even Orange Beach or other parts of the coast. It's what's called shell hash. Okay. And so it's these remnants of shell pieces that fit together and uh, the wave action and the, the water that comes in from the Gulf of Mexico forces itself into those layers of shell hash and they move apart and become buoyant. And because we don't have the sediment generator that is the Mississippi River for the, the Mississippi Delta, which is constantly depositing sediment and, and yeah. moving and creating land, we don't, we don't have that sediment generator on this side of the state. And that's why our Chenier Plain, which extends, there's only three of them in the world. And this is, we're on one of them right we're now. We're sitting on one Absolutely. right now. Absolutely, yeah. And so the reason why we are so prone to coastal restoration coastal uh, erosion here where we are right now is because the the gulf of mexico forces itself into those layers of shell hash picks them up and pulls them back out into okay. the gulf this area of the gulf that we're looking at right now is very shallow you could so those oil rigs the, the platforms that you see out there yeah. are about 3 miles away Okay. And they're only in about six mi six feet of water. God, that's only three miles away. Yeah, that's three miles that's away. That's wild. And when the winds are calm, I can hear the the signal horns from those platforms at my house. I live about a quarter of a mile from here. Wow. I can hear the Gulf from my house. And Man, what's, yeah, and what's I live on Highway like? 27. It's very relaxing. It's um, uh, it's a wonderful place to, and I certainly hope that I never take being able to be here and live here and work here for granted yeah so you're only about an hour away and and i'm right here and i get to so i can get off work and come park my vehicle right here and not drive on the dunes because we want to protect them yeah i see the signs um, dune you know, area we, keep we try yeah. we try our best and and still visitors to our beaches uh push down the fence drive on the dunes with their atvs or their jeeps and we want people to come here but we want them to respect it's all of our environment. It's not just theirs. And so them bringing yeah. damage to it is not going to help anybody or our nesting birds. But my favorite spot is just about a half a mile to the west of here. It's a real secluded location. There's typically no people there. I go run there. I bring my dog there. And What's that like? It's, uh, it's my therapy. I believe that. It's the way that I decompress from the the stresses of what's happening with significant economic growth here yeah it's where i can come and sit and remember that i'm super tiny and the gulf is really big and the world is really big and so any problems or struggles that i have are uh, made smaller just through that experience of being one with the environment that i'm in and yeah. the distraction that it, the healthy distraction that it provides, it's an amazing experience to just sit and absorb it for even if it's 30 minutes or an hour. Well, you know, listening to you say that, I mean, just coming here was refreshing to me because when you're immersed in, I guess, living and I, I guess all of this area is southwest Louisiana, mm -hmm. right? But to anybody who lives in other parts of the country, they look at this area and they're going to go, oh, Louisiana, the coast. Well, that's not 
you know, it's easy to make that mistake. But even in Lake Charles and Sulphur, where I live, you can kind of tend to get trapped in the east-west of things mm -hmm. and not the north-south of things. And I don't, I don't know if I can explain that better than to say if you get caught in, in the economy of what's what's happening just on that corridor alone, just there, and don't ever go south or don't ever go a little farther north, it can get a little bit stressful. And so all you see is um, progress. I'm a quotey fingering right now, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I know, I know that that creates jobs for people and, and overall can increase people's quality of life, but it can also make things a lot more stressful too. And I felt just coming here, I wouldn't say 15 minutes out of Lake Charles. You know, it's an hour drive, like you said. That hour went by in a snap. You got I a mean, lot to look at. Yeah, an hour stuck on I-10, 210, is totally different than an hour coming down here. And so Absolutely. it just got me thinking about how really, again, I hate to, shame seems like such a bad word, but I just feel a lot of regret that I haven't, looked south more you know i really do i mean i i really do looking at your face i mean i'm telling here. you i really well there's a lot to explore here and um you know taking an airboat ride sitting in a duck blind uh being in a deer stand here um accessing the the abundance of natural resources um you know when you you um had your podcast that dealt with um, the Southwest Louisiana naturalists and oh, yeah, urban. looking yeah. yes, looking at uh, trees in your own backyard and the wildlife and the, the 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 birds that exist there and the insects that exist there. If you look for it, it's there. What happens when you get outside of the the metro area that is the Sulphur Westlake Lake Charles area that. I don't know, 13, 15, 20 square mile area, and you come here, you really cannot ignore it. It's it's in your face in a very good way. Yeah. Um, one of my really good friends, Aaron Davison, who is the executive director of Big Brothers Big Sisters, approached me about bringing some littles to Cameron Parish. And we just had a really exciting call where we discussed what we're going to do on the day that they take the field trip from Common Street. We're going to drive down. I'm going to get on the bus with them. We're going to drive down Highway 27. We're going to come into Cameron Parish. We're going to stop right here and we're going to visit with Katie Barnes from the Audubon, uh, Audubon Louisiana. And she's going to show the, the, the children who come, some eight to 12 year olds, about 25 of them. She's going to show them where the nests are. She's going to show them, um, let them understand how important it is to protect the environment that those organisms are living in because it directly impacts the health of our environment. And then we're going to leave and we're going to go to my port office and we're going to visit with Amy Miller from Chenier Energy and she's going to talk to them about the importance of industry in our area and we're going to get to see Gabe Giffen who's the public information officer at Rockefeller Refuge and he's going to bring baby alligators for them to hold and these are kids that may have never left that I-10 corridor. Yeah. And in one day, you know, we were talking about this on our conference call yesterday. We were planning all the logistics of everything and food and where the students will be in restroom breaks and, and things that need to happen so that they have a really positive experience. And, and Gabe, my friend Gabe said, um, you know, we really need to pay attention to our audience. These, these people are 8 to 12 years old, and we don't want to overload them with information, but we want to show them as much as we can in the time that we have with them. And he said, for, for people who have never been here, this is a lot to take in. Yeah, sure, right. Um, and so 
he and I and, and Katie with Audubon, we, we get to, and Amy, who lives in Johnson Bay, we get to get a little bit all the time. And for folks who've never been here, and I, I interact with a lot of people who are not from here, never mind Calcasieu Parish. Yeah, they're, like not they're from, not this, from this, area this country. Right. right. And so when they get to see this, uh, or they get to drive on Highway 82 from, say, the ferry in Cameron to the Texas border and see how the, the road is on the Gulf of Mexico. Um, it, it's it's often interesting to, to get to see their expression and their reaction to it. Uh, it, it's almost always positive. There's the occasional uh, Range Rover that pulls up at my office and someone gets out of it and asks me, and I don't know what their intent is, but I've often been asked, you live here? Really? With that kind of... With that tone. Interesting. And my response now, where is, are those, yes, I do. Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, it, it seems to me that over my career... Um, there are some people who don't have a filter, <laughs> yeah. personally and professionally, and yeah. so for them, you know, it, it's that we're this remote and isolated place on the edge of the map, mm. rather than we are in what is very obviously abundant and beautiful. Some people don't yeah. think this is beautiful. I'm actually, to be quite honest... You probably see my eyes darting around. Like I'm just gonna tell people listening. There's one of the red, red, red wing blackbirds mm-hmm. behind you. You know we have those in our our yard. They come to my bird feeders. But that's sort of the thing that I've noticed about the creatures today. Just standing out here as I was setting up, waiting on you, and even driving in, the birds weren't scattering as quickly as they do in town. This bird or, or one like it has been walking around here. I mean, within a couple of feet, he was right behind you a second ago. And I'm like, he's not as, there's this sense of like, we're all together. Uh, that's totally different just an hour north. And know? that's what makes it so, the, the work that Audubon does here, the work that the Coalition Restore Coastal Louisiana does here to protect our coast and inform the visitors to this very, I think it's sacred. Yeah, I believe for me, that. it's a say. This is a t- the coastline in Cameron Parish is a temple for me. Yeah, um, I believe it. I believe and it. And when right now things are calm and we haven't seen any traffic, but come Friday, Saturday, Sunday, unfortunately, there are folks who come here, and I, I don't want to focus on the negative, but that's okay. I they, think sometimes they, you got to talk about it. So they come here and they they treat this uh, in, disrespectfully. Sure. They drive over bird nests with new eggs. They they drive over baby birds. They they. Uh, it's heartbreaking for me to to see the the, the disrespect for for the environment. Uh, they leave uh, dirty diapers when there's clearly at the yeah, entrance and at exit it. of the beach. There's a place to dispose of those. There yeah. are people who bring their RVs, park them on the actual sand dune, and dispose of their waste in the sand. In the sand. Um, that that for me is a slap in the face. Can I ask you something about that? I don't go that? to their house and do that. That's right. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about something that's ancient. I mean, it goes back to... Millennia. Yeah. I mean, we see human beings doing this. And again, I'm like you. I don't want to spin the wheel of negativity, but I do believe that sometimes we have to talk. I, I've always called it, and maybe even our first conversation, going into the cave mm-hmm. and then lighting lamps on the yes. way out, right, for the next people. So having that conversation i mean what do you think that is i mean it's probably a too big a question for any one person to answer but what is it about a human being that 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 
that can just disregard and treat spaces like that. Because, I mean, we look at even like the Native Americans when we first come to this country, there's a totally different sentiment. So what is it about mankind, humankind? What, what is that in us to just want to take a bit, excuse me, being blunt, uh, but take a, kind of take a dump in our own bed? You just don't see other creatures doing that. I don't, I don't know. I've, I have, I've been scratching my head about that since I was a younger man, and I can't quite put my As finger have on I. it. <laughs> I, I don't know that I can put my finger on it either. I think that if I think about it for a long time, it takes me to a dark place because I, I think that those folks who do that, in, in whatever way they do it, if they're going to disrespect the environment, then they're going to disrespect people, people yeah. other human beings. Right, yeah. yeah. And um, so for me, um, I, I do take the occasional assessment of the darkness but I choose to look at that the light and, yeah. and if I if I'm if I am going to put my finger on I think it's a lack of conscience mm. a lack of recognizing on on those particular people's part what what darkness they're bringing and uh, you know I've, I've I feel like I know your son the the choice that he makes every day and multiple times a day and that you support as his father to keep looking at the positive. This person chose to act this way. Um, all we can control is our reaction yeah, and, and our forward-moving actions. And I think it's, this, it's a, uh, a similar circumstance. You know, when I'm here and I see that kind of activity, even though I don't really want to, I usually go and approach the, the people who are... Do you? Take, yes, I do. So, so you, does my so mother. So you use it as a teaching moment. Yeah, yeah so I, I say things to them like, can you see the, I don't know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I can, I can see 12 signs right now that say very simple things. So if they are literate, please don't park or drive on the dunes. Yeah. Avoid bird nesting area. Uh, there's a, a, a lot more beach to enjoy. You don't have to do this destructive action where right. you're doing it. Yeah. Um, in the same way that when I see someone being hurtful to a, a human being, um, it's, it's, it's a challenge to have the, the courage to, to stand up in the face of the darkness yeah. and the, the ugliness. Well, yeah, because you can go do the same thing. That's a good way to put that. I mean, you can go leave your trash inside somebody else. And I'm happy, I know it. If you're like me, then you've got a long wish list of things you need to do around your house. Things you just can't get to. It's not that I don't want to do them, but between my responsibilities at work, producing this show, and squeezing in some valuable mental downtime, I can't seem to get around to fixing the small stuff. And the big stuff is just waiting in line. To be honest, it kind of stresses me out. Maybe you're stressing out too. Well, stress no more because I've got good news. My friend, Ben Von Duke, has started a handyman service, and he takes the mystery out of getting these things done. Ben Von Duke is not just some guy that calls himself handy. He knows what he's doing, and he knows a whole lot. Not only is he an experienced and professional carpenter, but he's kind of a duke of all trades. What I love is that he's created an a la carte price list of services so you don't have to worry about getting in your pockets too deep before you're ready. 
He'll fix your running toilet, install appliances, replace fixtures, install ceiling fans, repair sheetrock and concrete, and a whole lot more than that. Look, I'm not too proud to say this, but sometimes it takes me three times as long to fix something because I've got to get online and search videos just to figure out what tools I need. Then I have to go buy the tools that I don't have and then kind of sort of come home and do the job. I don't have to do that anymore because Ben Von Duke will do it and do it better. On top of all that, he's just a good person, someone you can trust. He's honest, he's kind, and those are things that I value highly, and I bet you do too. You can get a hold of Ben Von Duke, the Duke of all trades, the good old-fashioned way, by using the phone. Call or text Ben at 337-540-1355. That's 337-540-1355. He'll send you his service and price list, and trust me, his prices are more than fair. And do me a favor. When you do message Ben at 337-540-1355, tell him you heard about the Duke of all trades on Find the Good News. I told my son yes. something similar. You know, we, he, he has a kind of an ongoing painful relationship with someone close to him. And sometimes I find it so hard to talk about things without giving away other people's stuff. But, you know, we were trying to figure out a way to talk about it. And I told him, I said, you know, when, the, when they show up in your life, I said, it's almost like you've been spending your time building a nice pathway to your front door, right? You've been manicuring the plants, you've put down the concrete, you smoothed it. The person shows up in your life, they don't see you doing all the work that it takes to have this nice entrance to your front door. And so they come walking and your concrete's still wet. And so they come walk up to your front door and they wanna bring their stuff, right? And then they leave and you're left with their footprints. You know, the concrete is just still just damp enough to where, okay, well, they're gone, but now I've go got away. steps inside that are kind of now um, a little more solid. And so those footprints stick around, and then you got to kind of redo all that work. But the person shows up, they can't tell the difference between wet concrete and dry concrete because they come stomping through. And so he was like, yeah, I get that. And I said, it's not fair, but how do you... Do you put, you know, like like you said, there's signs everywhere. There's there's information to be had. You know, you don't want to have to barricade it off. It's no. so sad. It's like you want to have this, you just want it to stick. Mm-hmm. You do, you want it to be sticky. And and for some reason it just, it doesn't stick. I don't know. Yeah, I, it's, it's uh, something that I'm still working through. I recently had a conversation uh, with a friend about what I do because I, I often am asked what exactly do you do yeah well, yeah well tell me everybody wants to know okay <laughs> I don't know if everybody <laughs> wants to know um, and my response to him was uh, mostly I untie knots Ooh, or okay. I work to keep what will be a knot from becoming a knot and oh. th- that that takes a lot of um, mental fortitude yeah. I was really lucky to have a mentor who has now passed away, who instilled in me, and I I saw from his actual physical example, like he wasn't pointing his finger and verbally telling me what should be done. I got to witness him doing it. And um, a lot, he was heavily involved in what is now this very large economic development boom in Southwest Louisiana. And rather than preach, he actually lived 
the word, not to yeah. to become too no, biblical here. Yeah, but yeah. his steps, his steps were numbered, and he um, he didn't wear his religion on his sleeve. He took he, he practiced what he thought was the the way to make the place that we all live a better place. Yeah, and so I got I got about. Twelve years being mentored by him, and that made that created a circumstance where now I am able to. I hope that I'm doing some of those same things. That I'm not pointing a finger or saying that someone else needs to do this work. I'm I'm trying my level best to do the work, and um, so I don't really have a typical day. Um, I. My my goal professionally is to make the lives of the people who live here better. And who in this wide world of sports made me think that that was something I can do? I have no idea. Uh, I have uh, my, my, my dad's mother uh, was from the Lafayette Maurice area. And um, she was an A-Bear who married an A-Bear. And my grandparents were spectacular people. Um, my my dad's parents came from the Lafayette area and moved here in the early 50s so that my grandfather could run the Superior Oil Dock in Cameron. And he did such a good job of it that people didn't even know his real name. They just called him Mr. Superior. Yeah. And his wife, my grandmother, the A-Bear who married an A-Bear, her name was Ruby. And when she came here, she saw a, a community that needed civic engagement from the residents. And yeah. so she and her group of friends uh, would cater lots of events here. This is the, the early 50s before Hurricane Audrey. Uh, they had six children here. They um, evacuated for Audrey because all their family was in Lafayette. My, my grandfather's supervisor at the Superior Oil Company said, why don't you guys come to Lafayette in advance of this storm? And they did. And uh, the, the next door neighbors that they had was a, a husband and wife couple with six children and a dog, just like they had. All of them, the parents and the six children and the dog drowned. Really? And my grandparents evacuated to Lafayette and were all safe. So that's the oil and gas side of my lineage. Man. My mom's family, and there are many, 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 too many to, to count and retell stories like that in, in our parish because of Hurricane Audrey. And it, it was a circumstance where the, the, the people here, the, the, the radar technology was not anything compared right. to what it is today. It was not a, a warning system like we well, have, or I mean, not the same. Right. So I obviously wasn't here. It happened June 27th in 1957, but we have, all of us generations past that point have been told through oral history over and over and over again to the point where I feel I, I didn't live through it, but I know because yeah. they told us what happened. So um, when, when the warning came, the storm, Audrey, was predicted to make landfall the evening of the next day, as I understand it. And so people prepared, made their preparations, packed up, and were, they were going to be ready to leave and head north, like we, the people here, always do, um, in advance of the storm. And in the night, the storm gained strength, much like Rita did, and uh, its direction, its its path changed so that this was the bullseye. Cameron Parish wow. was the bullseye. And so, so there, and there was really no way for the no, people to know. In the night, in the darkness, the water came up, and um, nearly 500 residents in Cameron succumb to that, that disaster. That's, that's really incredible. I, I wonder how many people, you know, 
you go to Galveston and you hear stories like that too. Mm -hmm. And then they, they have museums and things like that for that kind of thing. And, you know, I think unless you really hear it and just stop and think about it, absorb it, absorb it. It just doesn't hit you. It's kind of like a footnote and you can go, wow, that's terrible and move on. But 500 people is tremendous for a a parish with such a small population. like So yeah, it's a giant impact. I mean, it changes the completely changes the history of the place. It absolutely does. People, uh, Audrey, Hurricane Audrey is a, a phrase that is, I don't know, days don't go by that we don't talk about it. It's a, it's a part of the fabric and the thread that runs mm. through our, our history here and our future in Cameron Parish. So when Rita happened, everyone left. You know, it's interesting. It makes me think of a little story, and I'm kind of, again, another thing that I'm a little ashamed of. I was out here, I guess, about a year ago maybe a little over a year ago and I had to come film some people for a tourism project and I didn't quite go up on the sand dunes but it was down um, a little further uh, uh, west anyway I had to pull up and park my vehicle and carry the camera gear out while the people had left and my vehicle started digging holes in the sand and so I, I sunk you know I mean I was I couldn't get out and so I sat there for a little while and um, really trying to figure out what I was going to do because there was nobody out there. Now you can call me. Yeah, well, I didn't know what to do. (laughs) I mean, I had a shovel and some tarps and stuff, so I tried digging my tires out. I did the whole, everything you think you would do, and it just, nothing was working. And so every attempt really just sunk me further and further and further in the sand. And so I just sat there for a little while and let myself calm down because you can kind of panic and keep trying stuff and just make it worse. So eventually I just called the Cameron Parish Sheriff's Department and said, look, I'm I don't really know what's to call. I'm kind of in a jam. They sent a guy out with a four-wheel drive and a winch, and so he was. They were pulling me out, and a couple other guys pulled up. And we got to talking about Hurricane Rita, and I ended up sitting on that beach talking to those guys for probably two hours after that. After they pulled me out, and the stories they told. One of the things that really broke my heart is one of the guys said, "You know, my dad died shortly after Hurricane Rita from a heart attack." That and happened far too much yeah he said those are the deaths that are related to the storm that people don't quantify he said because it was really the stress he said suicides and suicides he said they lost their property they lost their whole livelihood you know he said it really changed people's lives certain people and he said you know my dad does i know the stress killed him and he said and he's just one of those deaths that i i'll i'll always connect to that storm and i was like man it broke my heart honestly because you could see it on his face it's like a it's, it left a mark in him, you know? Yes. And, and I guess he almost felt like the, the tone I got from the gentleman I spoke with was that he just felt like there was no um, no place for it. It was unrecognized, almost like it just got swept away in the storm and then time marched on. It's mm-hmm. kind of what it felt like. That I, I identify with that. Um, my, my mother's parents, and the reason I identify with it is because it's I understand what it feels like to deeply long for oh, I don't want to get I don't, oh, to to for my soul to yearn for what it felt like to be here before Rita really um, what what do you what do you what is, I'm what? never gonna be complete again um, I can't go to the re- a reunion at my high school. Oh. I can't walk in uh, the grocery stores that were here or the noodle shop. I can't, um, I can't go to the library that I grew up in as a kid. 
I can't go to my grandparents' house. Mm. Those things were erased off the landscape. They were obliterated. And it's difficult to see. Um, talk on. It's okay. It's difficult to see the abundance of, of um, jobs and industry that's coming and juxtapose that to the, the destruction that was everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Every, there was no place that was untouched. And um, it happened so quickly and it's taken so long to get back to some normalcy. So a lot of times when I come out here, I don't see the destruction. I see the beach and the gulf like it used to be. I mean, some of it's eroded, obviously, yeah, but yeah. Um, it's uh, it's the place where I can go and pretend like it didn't happen. Yeah. It's, uh, it's rough. You know, I don't have that exact thing. I mean, the, the closest thing I can relate to is losing, you know, like the home that I grew up in. I grew up on Houston River Road. I mean, to anybody else, it's nothing. But, you know, that's where I grew up. And I played in the woods and the trails and the people that lived around there. And then just through a series of circumstances, you know, in my parents' lives, that that's all gone. You can never go back no, there. No, and I can't. And there's times, you know, and I... I you know, I get what you mean, because there's times when I drive. In fact, actually, every every year uh, on September third, the the or September second, the day my father passed away, I drive out to Houston River Road and park on WPA Road because I can't really go. I can just see the house, and it's kind of like, you know, new people live there, but I look at it and I watch the sunrise out there, and it's like. Uh, I get what you mean. I can't. It, it's really kind of almost ridiculous. I, I go out there to enter my own memory. Yeah. Does that make sense? I, but I can't go I to that place. I very clearly understand it's that. 50 feet in front of me, but I can't go there. I can't go. I can't take my children no. and say, here's this tree that my, you know, I can't take them in the woods there. And so it's heartbreaking. I get it. I mean, I do get that on that in that little tiny place. So I can't even imagine what hits your heart. I mean, I can see it, but I can only imagine like it, it what it feels like to just feel the gravity of that. Well, the um, olfactory sense is something that I think has already always been really strong for me, and. Um, you know the the smell of my my grandmother's robe or yeah um, you know biscuits uh, in my grandma's kitchen or those things that seem so little mm. when they're happening and having uh, a, a significant period of time where all we smelled was marsh mud mm. and it it is it's disgusting and um, so my my parents' home. The home that I grew up in, my parents lived in for 35 years. It was gone. Just gone off the yeah. foundation or whatever. Yeah, and there were like six toilets on my parents' property. My parents had two bathrooms in their home. It wasn't the, the toilets just seemed to be deposited on their acreage, which is really weird to me. But really random things like um, my my granny's china, no china cabinet, just sitting stacked in the mud, unbroken. That's so. 
and Strange. spoons and hangers and but no house, no brick, no piece of wood, no window frame, no. And my dad just rode on a marsh buggy for days, trying to find some part of the house. And well, what happened? I mean, where was the house? What did it, it just destroy? It was just obliterated. Just yeah. Obliterated. So what happened? Um, and the barometric pressure, when it gets so to, to at a certain point, uh, material, wood, bricks, concrete, it disintegrates. So the barometric pressure here was so low that. If a tornado, which, um, if memory serves, NOAA or the National Weather Service released a report that showed that there were, within a four-hour period in Cameron Parish with Rita, there were more than 60 F4 tornadoes. Oh, my God. And so we're just about 2,000 square miles. And I remember watching, I think his name was Curtis Atkins or Curtis Atkinson, who was the, the young, yeah, thin, tall, blonde. Yeah. yeah. So he was with uh, to, uh, um, Cynthia Arsenault when the, the hole was made in the hospital where they were um, yeah. filming okay, for Rita. Yeah, I remember Rita. seeing that, yeah. And at one point, uh, it was about 2.30 in the morning, and, and she's asking him questions about, you know, what, what can we expect? And all of the, um, the uh, devices that record wind speed and, and other forecasting you know the, the the tools that are used to measure the storm had all broken so he's talking about that and and he he just sort of looked uh like he was in disbelief he was like there are no more structures wow that... he said every single structure will be damaged if it's there at all and i, I started thinking how yeah, do we absorb that? Yeah, what do you what do you mean by that? Yeah, like how your, is that possible? Yeah, the only thing I can think of that I mean, and there's so many things like that. Fire, fire, fire does it too, or like an an atom bomb going yeah. off where yes. it just erased the landscape. Yes, you know, that that that's hard to comprehend. One thing that really bothered me was uh, when we were trying to come back because so we were on a mandatory evacuation for about nine months because mm. there was no power; it was dangerous. Um, so we couldn't, we were on a look and leave, you know, dawn yeah. till dusk situation. Uh, the people who did not live here, who came here and were picking up the belongings of the people who did live here, really made me sick. Wait a second. Yes. So like a looting type situation? Not or, looting. Or just... More like, I'm going to, I don't live here and maybe I visited here, but I see a, a little figurine. I'm going to pick that up as a People memento. did that. I guess yes, I didn't. I saw I them do it. Wow, that's And so that, that for me is a, a um, really sick situation. Yeah. It's, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of like... Well, I mean, I need to first say this. I think most people who know me will, will know how I feel about violence and war. And I, it's like kind of like taking a, a war trophy when someone would take something like a from a, a, off of a dead soldier. And mm -hmm. they'll go, oh, this is a, a, a star off of a Nazi yeah. soldier. And, how, how and, dare and you? they pass that through their family. And I just go, man, this is so, yeah, how dare you? I mean, or, or any any anything like that. I think that's just... Uh, strange behavior or i mean we go out to cemeteries quite a bit it would be like taking something off of someone's grave right something somebody left was. and that's Speaking what it's of like grace, that i think the um so those those subsequent heart attacks and suicides to me that that's the most painful uh, part of this close to that for me was the the graves that were disinterred and the families 
who mine was one of them we didn't know where mm. the the body of our deceased was and the reburial process that that was extremely um difficult to to bear um so the so what i do when you know when people say what do you do exactly and i I carry that with me all the time. Uh, I carry that that loss and that devastation and the recovery and the working with FEMA and the FEMA trailers and all of those yucky things, while at the same time knowing that Cameron Parish's economy is growing in a, in a way that it never has since the traditional oil and gas came in and commercial fisheries was booming. Uh, right now, there are we, we have seen a 1,992% increase in the number of jobs in Cameron Parish. Our GDP is number one in the state. We, we see opportunity for the people who live here to be construction workers, operations and maintenance workers in these very large facilities. We see landowners who are getting to benefit. We see, we see a change in, in real estate. We see opportunities for vendors and suppliers and subcontractors like we never have before. We see a chance for our students to, to be trained here in Cameron Parish to go to work for these facilities and a whole array of things. People don't need to necessarily be operators or P-TECs or engineers. They can be trainers and they can work in human resources and do payroll and insurance and they can operate and maintain these facilities through the lifetime of their career. And that, for me, that brings a lot of hope. So mm. my day consists of a whole strange list of things. Uh, I get calls from around the world that's wild, asking about yeah so it's really cool to sit across the the table from someone from Taipei City or from China or from Japan or from Poland or from Greece or from Turkey or Mexico and they're asking about this parish yeah that is that is really cool that's that is that's wild. exciting yeah that's incredible and so what it means for me is as a person who was born and raised here and who lives here now i need to work as hard as i possibly can to to show these people the most accurate, transparent, real picture of what is here. No sugar coating. These, this is where our water lines run. Although we're 100% unincorporated and there are no municipal areas, we do have municipal style water and sewer in these areas. This is where the natural gas pipelines are. This is where the other pipelines are. This is the water depth in this uh, body of water. The, we have 44 miles of the Gulf Intercoastal Waterway in our district. These are the points of contacts that you need for waterworks and sewer. These are the people in permitting. These are the people who own property who are willing to lease it or sell it. It's um, a constant going through my mental Rolodex of everyone that I have known or interacted with here who can have some opportunity to engage with the projects that are coming. And it's not just liquefied natural gas exporters. It's private port development. It's uh, the building of um, concrete batch plants. It's utilizing the local vendors and suppliers and the people who are here, not just in Cameron Parish, but in Southwest Louisiana in the state. And one thing that is very reminiscent of what my mentor showed me was something that I'm very proud that I got to work on. It's called the Louisiana Business Connection. It's a free registry for the businesses that are in the state of Louisiana and when I started researching to find out if there was a government sanction, and that sounds like that sounds so ridiculous—a government-sanctioned anything. I, I'm, 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 
pretty anti-government. I think that a lot of being raised here in this very Wild West sort of environment, this Cajun outback, um, left its imprint on me. I, I think that government should pursue a laissez-faire uh, role in our lives, be there to, to, to protect certain things, but to allow free enterprise to blossom and, and to, to bloom. I think that, that's my personal perspective. Um, and I think that's why I, I try, and I, you know, Yoda said there is no try, only do and do not. Yeah. So I, I really make a point to reflect on my day or my hour and, and think, did I, did I just try to do something or did I, what did I, what, how did I move the, the game piece forward? Yeah, did I, did something actually, was there an effect to yeah, my cause, right? Yes, yeah. and was it positive and was it life-giving and was it restorative mm. and was it, was it more than what I was doing before? Um, I and, love that. Is it life-giving? How awesome is that? I mean, if that's your benchmark for everything, you have to like really retain a lot of mindfulness to accomplish that, right? I mean, to to, to what I mean by that is, you know, days get busy. I think most they people. Do. I mean, you know, you and I both probably by that after we get done with this today, we'll both probably have a hundred emails mm-hmm. to sort through and phone calls that we missed or whatever, things to deal with. So days get busy, and so it's hard to retain that awareness and mindfulness, at least I find it is. I mean, I fail at it a hundred times a day where I'm not maybe doing something bad, but I'm not even really doing anything life-giving or or working towards some end goal. It's just actions. Mm -hmm. And so that's very important to me too. Is Are my actions actually like, am I affecting the world in a good way? Am I breathing? Somebody on one of the episodes said, am I speaking life? It kind of reminds me of what you just said. Am I speaking life? Are my actions life-giving? Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that, but it's hard. It is. It is difficult. I even, I, it's my nature to resist uselessness. Mm. I think I'm harder on myself about it than I am on the people around me. I'm an only child, and um, my parents were industrious and smart and all you know active in making a difference, just like my grandparents were here. So. That and the the example that my mentor set of accomplishment and doing, and and not always a grandiose level of it, but that question, that self-reflection of who have I helped today, what good have I done, Um, and and so you know going back to why I come to the beach to to uh, release some of that that has built up is because I, I feel guilty about feeling useless. Yeah. You're, so not doing, I have to remind myself that not doing something is an action. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm doing some self-healing. Man, you are, I just, it's so interesting. This morning when I left the office to come here, you know, I give everybody who comes on the show a mug and all that good stuff, but you've already been on the show and I already got that. But, I drink from my mug. On but occasion. I did bring you a book. What? Uh, yeah. And I was like, I want to give her, cause I keep copies of books that are special to me. And one of the books that I keep an extra copy of is the Tao Te Ching and you may already have a copy. I do not. But there's something you keep saying. Now I do. Now you do. <laughs> and there is one line in there and just like I kept thinking about it when you were talking about being out here on the beach and how you're looking at the beach and you are there and it is sacred and you, you are experiencing the beauty of it today but you also experience 
within you the tragedy and I just kept imagining your heart like this bowl that just has to keep getting bigger and bigger to have all the room for all of that together and then listening to you talk about this being useful it makes me think of this line from the Tao Te Ching it talks a lot about a bowl and it says you know we make a bowl but it's the emptiness inside the bowl that we use not the bowl itself and I was like that's something to sit and meditate on and it's kind of what you're describing right I mean it also talks about the Tao is used but never used up and I was like so that's interesting too like what does that mean that something can be used mm -hmm. but never used up and then how do we use the emptiness of the bowl is actually what we're using, not the bowl. And I don't know, you're talking that language, like as I'm sitting here, just kind of like big eyed, you know, it's what you're saying. I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of trying to encompass that idea. And yet I didn't, I didn't, I don't have any exposure to it. So I'm very interested to read I love the book. that. And, I love and the intersection. And then we'll like have that. another conversation about, <laughs> That's right. um, I, I don't know, I don't know where it comes from that, I, I have this overwhelming desire to help people. I know that probably sounds so corny. It does It's why I went to work for FEMA. So I was I was teaching private school. <clears throat> oh, really? Yeah. So okay. I, my my uh, bachelor's degree is in um, English. I have a liberal arts degree. Okay. And then all my master's work is in British literature. Wow. Okay. I started out as an engineering That's student. I stayed in path. engineering. For, yeah, no, it's weird. Um, my whole life is a weird... Uh, Dumbo or something. Like dot to dot. Of, yeah. it's, where, it's crazy. So I went into engineering, stayed long enough to get a math minor, and then decided to change my major after I agonized over it to um, liberal arts because uh, the electives that I was taking as an engineering student, these wonderful, very rich humanities courses at UL Lafayette that gave me exposure to art history and the world that I had never had coming from a really small esoteric community like this. And I'm happy, I know it. Look, as much as I enjoy talking on Find the Good News about making a change, I'd be less than honest if I didn't admit that change is hard sometimes. I should get more quiet time. I should exercise more, walk more, sleep more. And the one thing that I know I should do without a doubt is eat better, healthier, and fresher. But there's a wide berth between knowing something and actually doing something about it. I love to cook, but just like those other should do's, I don't always make the time. This is where I have to tell you about Fresh Fuel because it takes procrastination out of my way. Fresh Fuel is a fresh take on getting healthy, wholesome, and satisfying foods in your life as a kickstarter to critical change that lasts. When you sign up for a Fresh Fuel program at thefreshfuel.com, you'll find tiers for your specific level of can't get up and go. I know I found mine. My friend and founder of Fresh Fuel, Megan Abraham, wants to do one thing and one thing only. She wants you and your family to eat healthier, delicious, home-cooked meals. That's it. With Fresh Fuel, Megan has taken all of the I can't do it out of putting better meals in front of the people you care about. And she's quick to remind that one of those people should include you. Go to thefreshfuel.com and choose the program that's right for you. Megan provides you with the recipes, supply lists, links, videos, goals, and very important here, 
access to the Fresh Fuel Facebook group, where you can connect with other fresh fuelers, real people just like you and me, making the same journey. What I love most about meal prepping with Fresh Fuel is that you don't have to do it alone. Megan is right there with you every step of the way, making the same changes you are. Fresh Fuel isn't a diet. It's a life change for those of us that just have trouble changing. Since I signed up for Fresh Fuel, I'm cooking more, eating better, and honestly, I'm feeling better too. I believe in Fresh Fuel so much that I asked Megan to offer Find the Good News listeners a chance to try it out at a discount. Just go to thefreshfuel.com, select one of Megan's signature programs, Fresh Fuel 28, the 28 Plus, or the 28 Pro plan, and then enter the code GOODNEWS to get 10% off your program. That's 10% off a Fresh Fuel signature program by visiting thefreshfuel.com and entering the code GOODNEWS. Fresh Fuel has been good news in my life, and I'm betting that thefreshfuel.com will be good news for you too. We traveled a lot as a kid, so I got exposure to other people, and I read a lot. So it wasn't like I was this yeah. sheltered, you know, um, yeah. kid. But uh, humanities courses sort of started to uncover the world for me in a way that it, it never had. And I was like, I, I got to change my major. I, I don't want to be proving the same theorems that were being proven in 1972. I, I, I'd like to think about philosophy and the world in a, on a different level than I'm thinking about it in my engineering classes. So I changed my major. Uh, so I don't have a background in education. It's just liberal arts. So I don't have the psychologies and the classroom management and those sort of things. I taught um, at an Episcopal school and a Catholic school. I taught English four. And uh, when Rita happened, I stopped teaching so that I could go to work for FEMA. Okay. And um, was that because you you felt like that was like, hey, this is my most immediate way I can help people at this time? I think that's a great way to articulate it. I think what I saw happening was I've never had a FEMA ID number myself, but my family members had them and they were staying on the phone for three, four hours at a time at two, three, four, five o'clock in the morning trying to give the federal government the information that the federal government required in order to give them assistance or at least do some assessment of whether or not they needed assistance. And I thought, uh, I I didn't, I don't even think I thought this is a calling. I need to put on my cape and run to the (laughs) disaster. I just thought if somebody from our parish does not infiltrate because we never had to engage with the Federal Emergency Management Agency in the way that we did before Rita and I. Right. It just, we, there was no cause to do it. Uh, we would evacuate, come back and clean up. There was never the, the utter and complete devastation that we experienced with those two storms. Not in my lifetime. There was for, for Audrey, but there was no FEMA. Right. Yeah, Audrey. you're talking about the, whole, the, the game completely changes. Yeah. Right. So um, when I... What happened, the way I got into FEMA was that uh, I applied for an administrative assistant position. I had no idea what an admin did at all. And it was in Abbeville. And uh, all my family was in Lafayette. There were 23 or 24 of us in the same three-bedroom house for quite some time because they had no homes, no jobs, nowhere else to go. Um, And so I went to this job interview in Abbeville, and the woman who was going to be my boss during the interview, she was a... a, a, um, degreed planner from Michigan and had tremendous influence on the rest of my life. She, we're, 
having the interview and she's looking at my resume and it's got my master's work and my teaching and all, you know all these community and civic activities and she she's looking at me kind of questioning like what are you doing here so she just asks me why did you apply for this job this is an admin job and you are clearly overqualified and I took a deep breath and I just started crying about and I was trying so hard to hold it together and be professional and you know have good posture and um, just get in and uh, she told me much later that when I left she closed the door and she looked at the rest of the team and she was like that's our girl Wow because they were planners professional planners from DC and yeah. Seattle and uh, Jackson Mississippi and all over the country that had been deployed here as disaster assistance employees in what's called emergency support function 14 for the Federal Emergency Management Agency which is long-term community recovery so it's a, a planning effort at right after the disaster but it's long term yeah it's what do we want to have for drainage and for the school board in this particular parish five ten years from now yeah which is so we don't have a culture of plan now we do we have a culture of planning we have a center for planning excellence in the state and we have all these mechanisms now to plan where we really did not before rita so i think that's a good thing so long story short, instead of being an admin assistant and making copies and scheduling for my supervisor, I was handling the the Vermilion Parish School long-term recovery projects. And then I was taking people on tours of Vermilion Parish. And so my grandmother grandmother was born in Vermilion Parish, that Abear who married the Abear. So I knew it and I was pr so proud of where my grandmother was born and raised. And um, the that group of uh, professional planners, when they had to meet with, say, the Twin Cities Port in Delcom, or they had to meet with people in Erath or in Gaydon, they would say, look, this is Claire Abair, and she's from Cameron Parish. She works for us at FEMA, with us at FEMA, but she's from Cameron. Okay. You, you probably know her family. So where they were, uh. Smiths and Jones and Johnson from Michigan or wherever in this battlefield post-disaster, they were try here trying to do good, too. Right. They ran to the calling like I was, um, and they were phenomenal human beings. And I think that one of the things that I find myself doing is trying to bring some clarity and realis realism and actuality to the people who get um, spun up post-disaster or in the, the managed chaos of all these industrial projects coming yeah, here. Yeah, right. You know, what, it, what are the facts? If someone tells you something on the street, what is the source of that information? Mm, I think that that is a skill that we could all probably use more of in this world, right? Because, I mean, we're so easy to run down the trail of a, a quick headline readers or fake headline readers or or buzz words or little gossipy things that go mm -hmm. around and we can go down those trails and, and before long we're, we haven't checked up on it at all and we're telling the next person. Yeah, and if I do that, I'll get myself in a lot of trouble. Yeah, so because you're, you're accountable for information. I mean, you have to be very clear mm -hmm. about what you're saying and what you're putting out there. Mm -hmm. And I like what you said earlier. You you don't try to sugarcoat things. You say this, these are the facts. Plain information is, it's okay. Yes. It's okay to give you just plain information. It's not loaded. It's not evil. It's not bad or good. It's mm -hmm. just information. And I think that was ingrained in me by my parents and my grandparents. I remember when I was, I don't know, maybe four or five, 
It's one of the earliest memories I have, and I cannot believe I'm remembering this right now, but um, my granny had on the back of her toilet um, one of those circular um, powders with the big puff in it. Oh, it yeah. was pink. And, yeah. oh, I coveted it. It was just, it smelled so fresh and clean, and um, it was this beautiful pink color with a clear crystal lid, and I spent a lot of time with my mother's parents. And it was a, a wonderful gift that the universe gave our family. Um, my Both my mother's parents died 11 days apart the January before Rita. Really? And they would not have been able to navigate that. No. no. I, they would have been so overwhelmed with seeing their children and their grandchildren go through the, the aftermath of Rita that, that that would have not been fair to the life that they had given. Um, it, it was um, a wonderful thing. They were they were very intertwined as two human beings. Um, we were, and I'll get back to the. I stole the I stole the power powder puff thing, and my mom made me bring oh, it back. Oh, really? Let me tell you that, and then I'll tell you what my grandmother said at my grandfather's funeral. Um, so uh, I would spend the night a lot with them because I was the only grandkid for like seven years. So I was. I mean, it was magical. Um, <laughs> I've, I've had times like that too. I know so, what you mean. Instead of, uh, and I go back to that that memory, like your your house, the Sam Houston yeah. Jones area, that I get to go back to that place. So, um, I, I had my bag from spending the night. I think it was a strawberry shortcake bag, and I went in the bathroom and I took the powder puff thing and I put it in my bag and <laughs> we got in the car and my the house I grew up in was about four miles from my grandparents' house. So we get home and my mom's taking my stuff out of my bag, and there's my granny's powder puff thing and. She said, uh, "You know, we're gonna ha- you're gonna have to bring this back." And I was like, um, "Granny wouldn't be no. mad if I she would if she would be okay with me if I she knew I took it. She wouldn't." She said, "Well, no, you're gonna we're gonna drive back up there, and I'm gonna wait out front, and you're gonna oh, go back man. in, and you're gonna tell Granny wow. that you stole it." Oh, and you're gonna say, "Not I, Granny. I took this home. I was gonna bring it back, no, Ma, Granny. I stole it." So I walked in the house with oh, it, no. and I'm just, you know, crying uncontrollably. I can't breathe, and I'm you know, hyperventilating. It's so dramatic. She thought something was wrong, and here I am with this powder puff. And uh, My granny was uh, this, the most beautiful woman I've ever seen, Portuguese, really dark eyes, olive skin, gorgeous jet black hair, uh, just so feminine and, and wonderful and, you know, could cook anything and just uh, um, just miraculous sort of being and so imagine how difficult it was for me to go with my powder puff that I stole and I, I walked in and I'm crying like that and she calls me down and she says what what's going on you know why do you have my powder puff and I stole it granny I stole it oh gosh and she with no hesitation made me feel like you, you did steal it, and that was wrong. Go put it back on the toilet. So I put it, you know, on the back where the, yeah. the toilet top yeah, is, where the, the mechanism yeah. is. Yeah. So I go and put it back, and I'm still, you know, yeah, doing the, like the, that. the hyperventilating kind and of cry. And she hugged yeah. me, and she kissed me, and she said, as long as you tell the truth, mm. everything mm. will be okay. Yeah, it sticks, huh? So I would prefer for people to tell me the truth. Yeah. I, um, I got really lucky on my second marriage to have uh, reconnected actually with uh, a human being that I met when I was like 11 or 12 years old. and I, Wow. Yeah. Um, he is, um, he's a refuge for me when, you know, uh, like last night, the 
Gabriella Espinoza was on KPLC talking about, it's time to get to your safe place. Go to the most interior room and put, you know, the most walls between you and the exterior of your home and the lowest yeah. level. And that is what he is for me. Oh, wow. That is so incredible way to describe that. I'm so, I'm blessed beyond measure wow. to have that. And he gives it so freely. And it's not always about you're perfect, Claire, and you're beautiful, and you're, you know, although he says those wonderful things, sometimes he just says, this is, this is the truth. Mm. This is the way it is. And not, far more often than not, it's not about anything personal. It's about this professional situation that's happening. Yeah. Um, I can go to him and, and be in that. It's truth. It's reality. And it's not always what I think I want to hear. But it's always it always is uh, forward moving, and um, he's taught me to set up boundaries in a way that I never could previous in my life. And um, but that that memory of my my grandmother saying, "As long as you tell the truth, it's everything will be okay," because it gets really ugly sometimes when we tell the truth and uncomfortable. And sure. It's hard sometimes. Absolutely. And not even like the truth of like maybe something we did. Correct. Like a confession. It's sometimes it's just hard to say things in a plain way to where huh. you're going. I have the conversations like that with my children. And you see that that same conversation sort of affect each one of them differently. I had a conversation like that with my, my oldest child yesterday. You know, and I told her, I said, you, she tells me the truth, but she tells me the truth after a lot of agonizing and so after the agonizing it's usually right on the precipice of like if now that i have the truth um it's harder to deal with this because there's not as much time yeah right and so i've, 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 I I, I've had to have that conversation many times i'm like i really commend you for telling me the truth you should tell me the truth i can help you more if you tell me the truth even if it's nasty i'm not going to blow up because it's not the way I am, but I'm going to tell you the truth back. But at the same time, you, I, I'm trying so hard to get them to all understand. I think I've seen that more with my sons. You know, they're younger. And maybe they've seen, they've seen more. And so I try to tell them, tell me the truth as early as you can. Early and often. Early and often. <laughs> and I promise you, I will, even if it's a, a bad truth, mm -hmm. a painful truth, I'll tell you the truth back and I'll help you because we can navigate it if we can see it. Yes. But if we can't see it and there's no time, it's so much harder to navigate. So, yeah, I get that is an incredible lesson for you to have picked up like very early on, like at a young age. I mean, and your grandmother and your mother both really kind of helped with that, right? I mean, they planted oh, that seed absolutely. Like, right, in, in those kinds of moments. Well, I think as parents... We have choices. We make choices all the time. My mom could have been like, oh, whatever, just keep the powder puff. Thing. Yeah, well, I'll bring it back later yeah. and not make uh, a thing out right. of it. Yeah. But it, whether she intentionally or, or thought, oh, here's an opportunity yeah, for me to, to, to make my child better than she would otherwise be. It, it, um, you know, I wasn't spanked. I wasn't punished. I wasn't, the, the lesson itself was, I, I'm 41 and I still remember that that happened and how much I wanted it. And I made the choice as a child, and I think we do it as adults. Well, 
I bet if I, 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 I don't know that I thought this, but now looking back on it, that knowing the kind of kid I was, I could have just asked her and she'd have been like, yeah, you can have Probably it. Probably so, yeah, yeah. But instead I chose to undercover, um, inconspicuously take something that wasn't mine. Yeah. So what do you think that is? Like, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, that kind of gets off of gets into some deeper waters I guess but like I mean I've done things like that too I probably still do that and don't even realize it maybe about things or where you just don't divulge it to somebody mm-hmm. why you've done something uh, what do you think that is like you know why is our first instinct not to just ask why is our instinct to go well I need to take it for my own you know and maybe it'll be okay mm-hmm. is, there, is there a fear that because I mean it happens a lot I agree that it and does. And we see it I happening think, all in all kinds of capacities. I yes. Mean, in government and, and families and marriages. I mean, you name it. I think, I can only speak for myself, but I think that it's if, if I do that or if I have done that, it's because I was skeptical about whether or not I was going to get what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And so to, de- to get what you to wanted. Get what I, to ensure that I got what I wanted. You did it. Yeah. I did the wrong sense. thing. And I think a lot of people do that. I think I really do. I mean, I think we can see uh, see that out in the world for sure. Mm-hmm. You go, oh, well, we just I'm going to get what I want, and if I get if I don't get caught, then okay, right? You know, no no harm, no foul. Nobody knows any different anyway. Right. Well, the, that great that grandmother and my grandfather, the the married couple, the ones that passed away eleven days apart, they they did that. They they were surrounded by other couples in our family that had tumultuous relationships and were deceptive and. My grandparents never were. They were very transparent and um, didn't keep anything hidden or covered from one another, whether it was ugly or beautiful. Or um, um, We were at my grandfather's funeral. I was sitting right next to my grandmother, and um, he had the words going home um, embroidered in the, the top part of the satin in his coffin with some seagulls. Really? Mm-hmm. And because uh, he was a fisher, he was a, a fisherman. He he left Southern Georgia in the early '60s with my grandmother and their family, and they moved here to Cameron um, during a shrimping boom. And now we have three generations of shrimpers in Cameron Parish. So half of me is commercial fisheries, and half of me is traditional oil and gas. And I'm the only child from that union of my, my mom and dad. So I feel a, a, a debt. So I'm obligated to mm. to do the best that I the very best I can for both of those industries and all the industries in Cameron Parish because we have a wide array of them. But um, the um, that going home phrase in the top of his casket, my, my I was sitting next to my grandma with my arm around her, and um, she said, look at that. And I said, what's that, Granny? And she said, it says going home in his coffin, mm. in the top of his coffin. And I said, I know, isn't that, that's nice to think that, that that's where he is. Mm-hmm. She hesitated for a few seconds, and she said, he's not supposed to go anywhere without me. Oh, wow. Oh, man. And 11 days after he died, she, she died. Um, I think that wow, she wasn't overwhelmed by it in the way that I anticipated she would be had he been the one that died first. Um, I thought she was going to be a wreck and, you know, just not be able to function. And she was calming and... Uh, a calming force for all of us because he was a a pillar not only of our family but our community um he was a very well-respected commercial fisherman he was fair and equitable and honest and um, he did all these sort of john wayne type 
<laughs> things. So I had some really cool people that influenced me, uh, both as a, a, a child and an adult, to, to show me this is how you're supposed to live and watch me. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Not do what I say, not what I, you know, do as right. I say, not as I do. Not, yeah, Absolutely. Right, right. I think that's, I think that's very important to the, the development of a child and as an adult, we still need that. I agree. I think that that's another thing. It goes back to what you were saying earlier about speaking life and doing things for you know, the living and, and that awareness and mindfulness needs to be really a muscle we flex because I mean, I've had moments now that I'm older, maybe not as much when I was young, but now I think it's finally starting to develop when I can sense it. Like, Oh, this is this a moment. is happening. Yeah. I can actually. Isn't it the I coolest? I can do the though? right thing right here. Yeah, I, and my children can see, and you know, I, yeah, that, that I've had things where I've even tried to do the right thing, and then something bad comes out of it, and I, that's still a teaching moment mm-hmm. for your kids because you can go, was it worth it? I mean, I want to. I've asked myself that sometimes, when you try to do the right thing, and then something bad still happens. There are naysayers that would say, "Well, see, that's what you get. Why try?" And then I just don't believe that at all. I, I, I've used those moments like that with my kids and go, well, yeah. And that is, this is another lesson. Sometimes this is what happens. Sometimes you lose. Yes. Sometimes you do everything right and you still lose. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. And so what does that mean to not try? No. Keep trying. Yes. You know, do it again. And then you might win. And then you get to learn that great lesson that that's literally just the way life goes. Yes. And that's okay. It's kind of a beautiful thing. Some things we can control and some things we can't. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, and we're close enough in age, maybe you remember seeing it. So my dad had a commercial trucking company, and uh, they would dispatch trucks. So there was an office space where uh, the dispatchers would be. And there were often, you know, a, a calendar posted on the wall and other um, you know so there were Xerox copiers were all the rage and there was a, <laughs> yeah. um, a letter size um, drawing that I uh, drawing on letter size paper that I remember seeing for many years in my dad's office and it was uh, a bird looked sort of like a crane and this is just a black and white image and the, the crane is standing, just sort of a profile drawing of the crane, and a frog that is in the cr- the crane's mouth, and the frog's arms are uh, very craftily uh, being clasped around the crane's throat. And meanwhile, the crane has his mouth open for the, the frog to continue to go down his throat, and the, the, the caption read, never, ever give up. <laughs> wow. And I, I think a lot of times that it de- even when, you know, my whole head is in the throat of the thing that's eating me, I, I'm going to have my hands clasped as tightly as I can around its throat to n- never give up. Yeah. And I, I, for, for me, that's a, um, a metaphor for life. I, I tell my son about it a lot. You know, it, even if we get close, like, uh, you know, as a, as a comet is coming close to the Earth's atmosphere, it, it might really get close and there might be some danger, but it's probably going to go back out into the mm. atmosphere. And so when we get close to that darkness or we get close to being eaten up by whatever it is, it's probably going to come back. It's going gonna, it's gonna to leave that really intense place. And if yeah. we can 
you know, when our metal is being tested, if we can just get through that and keep doing good and keep making those good decisions and keep trying to help others, then it's it's probably going to dissipate, whatever yeah. that is. Yeah. Just never, ever give up. No, I totally agree. I mean, it kind of gets back to that being used but never used up. I mean, I've thought that many times. I, I, I've, I've had a thought many times. I mean, we've had, just like anybody, you get your mixed bag of good and bad. And sometimes things can get really bad. And I, I do see, I've always been kind of curious about what would be the thing that would make me not want to get out of bed in the morning. I haven't had it happen, and I've had enough of things that are pretty heavy, and I, I'm fascinated by that, honestly, because I've seen it happen to people Yeah. where it's like, I am used up. I, I am done. Mm-hmm. I, I'm tired of trying. And I, I actually kind of feel a lot of sorrow about that when I hear those types of things because I'm not one of those people that just say, how bad can it be? You know, just chin yeah, up, no. chin Mm-mm. up, old boy, Mm-mm. you know, nope. you know, and, and look on the bright side, silver lining and all that stuff. I mean, I don't, I don't believe in just like throwing that junk out there to people that are in that situation. Cause I go, Hey, they, they really feel this way. It's really dark for them. And they don't have that in them. That's saying two feet on the floor, let's go. But at the same time, I am curious where the difference comes from, because I don't think I was taught that. And I mean, I, I, I'm, you know, I, I don't know where it comes from in different people to go, hey, we're just going to go. We're going to keep going. We're mm-hmm. going to, like you said, we're going to, we're going to go right to the edge of this thing mm-hmm. and we'll be okay. And it may be hard, but we'll, it'll get better and mm-hmm. then we'll do it again if we have to, mm-hmm. you know. For me, I think it's, um, there are some very pure, so pure sometimes that it, it's almost the same intensity of when I thought things were really bad. You know the 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 unbearable lightness of being. Mm. Yeah. And this um, this notion that 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 it, that it, that which is so good can feel just as fiery as that which is so bad. Yeah, yeah. And how okay. to, where is our pendulum at, at the time? Yeah, between those two things. But I think that's that's the um, the essence of life on this particular planet and on others or in other dimensions or in other lifetimes. It's interesting. I was having a thought like this the other day. We were, we went to a, uh, this is so silly. I probably to somebody, but I haven't shared it with anybody. I don't share every single little thought bubble that pops through my head. But last weekend we went to the Bumon, uh, Buddhist temple in Port Arthur. Mm -hmm. Really cool. I'd never been there before. And we, we, we bought I have a, a story about it. Oh, have you been there? No, I haven't, but I have a really cool story about it. I want to hear it. So I'm going to tell, tell you this, and okay. then I want to hear your story. But Because what I'm about to say is way not earth-shattering. But we bought a lotus flower, and, and you know you got to plant them in water, and we yes. don't really have a water feature at home. I said, well, we need to get, dig a, like a little water feature and put some rocks around it or something and kind of create a little lotus pond. So Sunday, that's what I did for this one lotus plant that we bought. And as I was digging the hole in the ground, I started seeing all these earthworms and I was like, oh gosh, you know, I, uh, I can't just keep digging until I get these earthworms out of here. And I know to some people that seems like foolishness. So I got, as I got down on my knees and I got these earthworms and I sat them over by my oak tree where I have some other soil. But then I started digging again. And as soon as I started digging again, I chopped one in half, you know, and I'm a bleeding heart, I guess. I just felt so darn 
gone guilty, man. And I, but it was the point. It was what popped in my head. I was like, golly, this is just life. I mean, like, you can try, but sometimes you just lose. And I just lost for this one earthworm. And I know to some people that that's silliness. But it was just one of those things where it was just a moment to really think about that. Is like, you can really try. But sometimes something's going to slip through your fingers and it's just going to go bad. And that's just going to have to be okay. I can't. I got to keep going. Yeah, it's life, you know. And that why it's so silly, but anyway, that that's but you know, my my thinking was how the reflection itself as small as it may have been, there was great value in it because I mean, I'm thinking, well, I made the effort to go to this special place, I made the effort to spend the time in the gardens, I made the effort to listen to what the people there had to say, to appreciate the energies that they've put into that years of mm-hmm. You know, even thinking back to why they came to America in the first place was right. to get away from Vietnam and communism. You know, so this has been planted here and out of sanctuary. a great yeah, sanctuary, out of great destruction. They were immigrants and now they're a community. And and then they've got these gardens. And so now this one lotus I've brought home comes. I can, I just, you can draw a line all the way back to the jungles of Vietnam, you know. And that's a beautiful thing. And I said, so if I'm not going to, if I'm going to go home and just roughly dig a hole, all haphazard. And I was like, myself, so I'm going to dig this hole. I got to, isn't that silly though? Like to some of you, like I got to dig the hole right. That's so interesting. I, I mean, cause like, I guess on one hand you go, you just need to dig a hole, slap a plastic container in there, put some rocks around it. But you got to dig the hole right too. Yes. Right. Everything. The whole thing's got to be done right. And to give it the best shot. Right? Give it the best shot. I mean, yeah, give that, I want that flower to make it. <laughs> Yeah, you know? absolutely. Well, look, if that lotus takes root, then it's a constant reminder of the wonderful experience that that's you right. had when you were there. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, I know that's a way off in left field. I don't think it's silly. I'm glad story. that there are people like us who who um, carry the earthworm stories with us because I think it. I think those things matter at some point in time. Um, so my story about it is um, I, have, I met a friend, a photographer, a professional photographer. She um, is at the University of Rice, and um, she received a, a, a grant to do some project on the Gulf of Mexico. And so she started doing research, and she decided that she was going to do a, a body of work called Another Storm is Coming. Mm. And so one day she found my number somehow online I guess and she called and she told me that she would be coming and when it was far in advance so that I could plan for her to, to do some things and see some things and um, she, her name was Judy is Judy phenomenal again human being life giving um, just had a light around her yeah and um, so she found the the temple that you're talking about and made arrangements to go there and photograph and video and it it was a multimedia piece it was yeah. uh, uh, unveiled in Houston okay. I was there for the opening night I brought well, my mom cool. and my son yeah. yeah she took some really great photographs of my son in uh, a flooded area with rubber boots holding his basketball um, just she, the the her perspective was quite interesting in that she wasn't simply taking pictures of a community that had been impacted by disaster and by community I mean the entirety of, of from you know from say the eastern part of Cameron Parish all the way um, 
into to Beaumont, Port Arthur, um, reminiscent of the 1927 flood that impacted Louisiana and Southeast Texas, and this notion that it's gonna come again. And and what are we doing about um, sea level rise and um, the the change in our climate and the impacts that human beings are having um, on our planet and one another. One of the photographs that she took of me, she asked me to tie a rope around myself, like around my shoulders and my torso, and I'm standing with jeans on and a, a, a t-shirt that I got from Parish Inc. in Lafayette that's blue and it has the I-10 uh-huh. shield on, you know, the sign that yeah. says I-10. And um, she wanted me to drop the rope while it was still tangled, tied around me and allow the rope to float away. Oh, okay. So she captured this really crazy image where you can see my shadow and the rope sort of disappearing into the murky water. And so she's at the temple and she's videoing uh, one of the monks in prayer. He, he allowed her to do all of this. And so they developed a relationship. I think they still keep in touch. Wow, that's great. So with no, and, and you know about equipment that you need to to do things like this and videography and that sort of thing and the 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 changes that you can make to the the actual pieces of equipment to to change um the the amount of light that comes into the lens and all those things okay so she set it up and it was there was no um uh, changes that she made and yet the video it gives me the chills thinking about it the video starts just like regular um, image. Yeah. Color balance is all normal. And she didn't realize this until she got back. She was staying in the Cameron Motel here in Cameron until she went back to, to review her footage, her work for the day. The image gradually went from what was the normal color balance to completely white. Huh. So it was just like completely washed out. Yes. And she, the next day, called me and said, I, "You gotta come. You gotta. I gotta bring this video to you so you can see what happened." And she was like, "I didn't distort it. I didn't cha- make any changes." And it was just strange to me to watch it. Um, I, I don't know a lot about videography or the technologies used in it, um, but you can see that the the contrast. I could see that where the contrast was on the the editing screen yeah nothing changed it stayed it at just, the same mark something changed in the environment yes like, to make that happen it wasn't just a overexposure oh that's the word i was trying to recall yeah. there was there was no action on her part to change anything and somehow it went from the same color balance you could see his orange and yellow yeah robes to a point where you could barely wonder, distinguish anything because the why. color who knows I still wonder that is what happened. I mean, how, I mean, look, I mean, there is, I watch a lot of different types of documentaries and, and exploration. I'm really fascinated by just about anything. I mean, I'll learn anything. I, Me too. I like to watch people go explore in other places and just contemplate things that are strange. Yeah. That people just go, Hey, I can't explain it. And one thing that's really interesting to me is how electronics are affected by Sometimes things are recorded. Something or happened. Forces just think about yeah. what happened to our first interview. Yeah, Who knows? right. Maybe exactly. We were supposed to be here. It was very strange because you and I couldn't hear that. There was just that little disturbance, like, like from a siren like a, early on, and then I thought, well, it just went away. I yeah. didn't hear anything. I didn't hear anything either. But then when you go back and play it, there's something there, and I'm like, well, that's 
very odd you know you can't it's not discernible to my ears but the, the recorder itself picked it that up. up that's interesting that we're talking about this now because that's kind of what stimulated us right, sitting at the table at the table but yeah well, and i'm happy you're driving down the road, everything is going just fine. You're listening to the new episode of Find the Good News in Your Car, and you're all stoked about trying out this zipper merge thing you've been hearing about when all of a sudden you hear that sickening tap on your windshield that's just a little too loud. I've got some bad news for you. You've just got yourself a rock chip. Unfortunately, I've got some worse news. If you don't take care of that rock chip, it's going to turn into a crack. But I do have some good news too. You don't have to have a rock chip or a crack because I've got a way for you to take care of it ASAP. If you go to asapglassco.com right now, you can stop that chip from winding across your windshield like the Calcasieu River. I used to be terrible about getting a rock chip, saying I'll take care of that later, and then later turns into this irritating crack that just spreads from one side of my windshield to the other. I should have taken care of it ASAP by scheduling a repair with ASAP Glass. ASAP Glass is local, right here in Sulphur, Louisiana, and they're mobile. Even better, you can get a quote right from your mobile phone at asapglassco.com. ASAP Glass is owned and operated by two of my best friends, lifelong friends, Dan and Kayla Smith. Dan the Glass Man will make sure his team of glass technicians gets to your job ASAP and make sure it's done right so you can keep that windshield crack out of sight. If you do get that rock chip and you don't take care of it ASAP, that's okay. ASAP Glass does complete windshield replacements. Remember, ASAP Glass is mobile, so you don't have to worry about finding time to drop your vehicle off at their shop. You get your quote at asapglassco.com. Make your appointment with Kayla, and then before long, an ASAP Glass van is on its way to your location. That's it. I know you're probably looking at a rock chip right now. Don't wait. Take care of it ASAP. Go to asapglassco.com on your mobile device and get a quote. That's asapglassco.com. And make sure to tell Dan and Kayla you heard about ASAP Glass on Find the Good News. One of the things that, so my participation when this photographer Judy came in was she wanted me to stand at the end of a swimming pool in Cameron, not far from where I grew up, that hasn't been filled in. It's just full to the top of water. It was never. Oh, wow. The, okay. So the house was destroyed, but the swimming pool is still there. Yeah. And she wanted me to recite our uh, prayer to um, avert hurricanes. Do you know that yeah, prayer? Yeah, I do know that prayer, yeah. For during hurricane season, I don't know if all churches do it, but I know in the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. you, you're going to recite the, that prayer mm-hmm. all we, during hurricane season. Absolutely. Until November or something like that. Absolutely. Um, one of the lines in that prayer that always sticks with me is that um, the gulf like a provoked and angry giant yes. can awake from its seeming lethargy yeah. and overstep its conventional boundaries invade our Those words le- they're amazing. just so powerful. Lethargy. Mm-hmm. You know, an angry giant. I was like, man, this is, it gets into sort of a mythical kind of sound. It Absolutely. Really it's epic. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's something that um, I, I think about that too when well, I'm out yeah, here when you're sitting out here looking at this mm-hmm. gulf, that's very interesting. Imagine it being Oh, 15, 20, 25 feet higher than it is right now. Yeah, it's like a sleeping beast. It is. That is interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's something... But it, it becomes provoked and angry. Yeah. And then it unleashes that wrath. Yeah. It did. Well, I mean, you know, oddly enough, I mean, even today, I'm, I'm actually amazed at the weather. Mm-hmm. You know, because... 
you know, a kind of a, a hurricane-like system broke Tropical. up and came up yeah. the, the coast. And you and I were kind of watching the weather by the minute. And, and you know, it's funny because I think maybe it's funny because I'm only an hour north, but I guess because I don't live down here on the coast, like right on the coast, you're. And again, I'm just going to tell you what I perceived. Mm-hmm. Your um, disposition about the weather, and I know we were just chatting, but I picked up that it wasn't really, you almost felt like it wasn't as big an issue to you as it was to me. Because you're used to the weather changing mm-hmm. probably pretty rapidly on it the does. coast. And so, and granted, it being only an hour north, you said that. You said, well, the weather forecast for Cameron's going to be different than for sulfur. And yeah. in my mind, you look at the map and it's like, <laughs> big red blob but you're right i mean it's the truth i mean realistically i didn't expect us to have blue skies of any kind today i was like man we really it it really opened up for us to have a nice day well so um we can see extreme sea fog clear up in half hour we can see it roll in really quickly and change the entire we can have this kind of weather and sea fog come in off of the gulf of mexico by this afternoon and our temperature will drop 10 12 degrees really uh, because we don't have as much concrete as there is in the metro Mm, area we tend to cool off faster sometimes we stay warmer at night because as the gulf temperature increases it spills over onto the land that that temperature and so the the water holds its temperature sometimes sometimes in the the winter time we'll see um the gulf you know release steam oh wow because the water's yeah the the water's yeah the water's um not the water's a lot warmer than the air temperature is so it's an it's just amazing and to come out here uh when a storm system is say four or five miles into the gulf and watch the wall of it come increasingly closer and we'll have sunshine like we're having right now right here yeah and to get to see it manifest and continue to get closer and closer it's it's uh, meteorologically speaking i guess it's kind of a strange way to to be so close to access it instead of just watching it on a radar yeah to to see it actually come in across the gulf is is pretty mesmerizing yeah tactile you get a different uh the smell of the air changes the humidity changes um the the coolness that i've felt as the the system comes closer to land is pretty cool um so it's just, it's just an amazing place to be, you know, to, you know, to experience it like that. Even driving cool. in today, I was one thing I noticed, and it, I, I I guess it's just all the rains that have been happening uh, in our country right now. I mean, the water level seems to be really high, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, coming in, I was impressed by that. I guess it was like, man, somebody who's not used to this would. I almost felt, to be honest, a little bit uh, anxious. I don't know if that's the right word, but I guess I felt a little anxious as I was driving because I was like, man, there's really just water on both sides and you kind of mess up and you're off in this water somewhere. I've seen cars do that before. Yeah, it's um, so we're used to the two lane, no shoulder situation, uh, which I guess, you know, we've become accustomed to it. Well, it's kind of beautiful, to be honest. That's what I guess I'm getting at. It was a a feeling. It changes your feeling Mm -hmm. completely. I noticed I just started to feel different as I would Mm -hmm. drive further south. Yeah, the Creole Nature Trail is an amazingly beautiful place to to drive on. And we have four wildlife refuges, the Lacassine, Sabine, Creole, uh, I'm sorry, Cameron Prairie and Rockefeller. We have Pintail Drive, which is a great place that people can just drive through and see wildlife right there outside of their window. Yeah, I was amazed. 
amazed at the diversity of wildlife. Absolutely. I mean, just on a regular drive. We're I mean, on what's called the special. flyway byway. We have hundreds of thousands of migratory uh, birds that come here on their way south or north, depending on what part of the year it is. We have the Ornithological Society who comes here every year and does a bird count. Uh, the the elusive black rail was recently found here. Really? In, yeah, right, not far from where we are right now. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the wildlife is in abundance here. There, it was a struggle after Rita and Ike because the, the saltwater inundation created a circumstance where we lost a lot of our wildlife and it was difficult for them to get back. We we never really had a lot of squirrels here before Rita, but the, I don't ever see any squirrels None. here ever. Never. Never squirrels. Interesting. Um, it took the raccoons and the, the turtles and the alligators and the cat. It took a while for things to, to start coming back for and a long time. There were a lot of that. I mean, on yeah. the drive in, I, I don't even know how many alligators I counted. So we estimate that there are about six alligators for every one of us who lives here. Oh, wow. That's a yeah. lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the I live on a dead end road. Uh, it's, it's asphalt. And on either side of that road, there are canals. Yeah. And um, I don't run as much during this time of the year down that road as I'd like to because there are some really large ones, like, you know, 8, 10 feet long. Really? That, that sort of hang out in those water areas. They don't, they've never been aggressive. Typically, it, uh, you don't see alligators be aggressive unless you're messing with their nest or they're young or they're really hungry in a, a stress situation. So they're, they're more afraid or equally as afraid of us as we are of them. I certainly don't uh, encourage anyone to ever feed an alligator, by the way, or get close enough to, to take a photograph with something other than a zoom lens. It's just far too reckless to, to do that. And I think that, you know, that anxiety that you talked about feeling, I think that somebody, people feel that naturally. And then some people who visit here think, oh, well, everything seems calm and normal. I'm just going to get out of my vehicle and go walk toward this, um, yeah. you know, 10 foot long uh, di dinosaur ancestor yeah. that, you know, just be logical, be careful, but come and experience it. Come crab, come fish, come saltwater fish in the Gulf. There's freshwater fishing. There's uh, we have charter boat captains uh, here out of Cameron Parish that have done this for decades. Um, there's just so much to experience here, either by going to a wildlife refuge or just driving and seeing it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm actually I've done this with other people on the show, you know, and especially now that I'm traveling out of the office mm -hmm. to do them on these road trip episodes, I'm I'm going to start bringing my family to the places that I experience oh, cool. because I mean, they're so accessible. That's the thing that I want to really, I guess, impress on anybody listening is that this was not a hard trip. It's no. not. It's an easy trip and it's a nice getaway from the city. Especially. And there are places to eat. Oh, and there are okay. places to buy I gasoline. I think people maybe don't think that if they don't come down here. Like mm -hmm. it's like. I mean, they're not a lot, but, but they they are. Yeah. There are some, and um, it's the places that I, you know, when I'm not cooking a meal at home, I'll go and get um, a salad or uh, a stuffed baked potato and it's or local, right? a fish. Yeah, like so they buy. Type. Yeah, absolutely. They buy their their fisheries products from here. Their seafood products from the the people who fish here. Well, that's really awesome. I mean, if absolutely. you want to come down to the coast and actually kind of say you, you ate food from the coast, I mean, mm -hmm. you're actually getting... And you can buy shrimp and crabs here and uh, bait shrimp and um, mullet and you can, you know, you 
it's not advertised on a billboard where those things are located, but if you look, you can find them. Yeah, well, I mean, what's uh, that to me is the more beautiful trip. Uh, I kind of discovered that when my dad and I took a trip to Colorado. He and he, unfortunately for him, I mean, he was really trying to do me a favor. He was just a driving buddy, and he turned around and drove right back after he dropped me off. But I always, I always thought that about that trip. I was really young, and I thought, man, how cool is this? Because we took a lot of back roads through Texas, mm-hmm. and it was just off the beaten path type of stuff. And I thought, man, what a a better way, at least to me. And then traveling the interstate, honestly. Absolutely. You know, to see these little local places and watch it change from city mm-hmm. to city instead of just sort of getting the same, you know, I can get off on a rip, but the same corporate kind of brand dump, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like it's the same hot stuff that's in the, you know, 45 minutes away on mm-hmm. the on the interstate and the same thing from mm-hmm. city to city. I guess there's a comfort in that to some sometimes when you're traveling to know that those resources are there. Um, but then there's the excitement of not knowing yeah, the, if we're going to run out of gas before we get to the next <laughs> right. <laughs> and just to say, ooh, what's that? I want to stop there. Yeah. I've seen so many cool things. Like coming back from Colorado that time, just I think I got lost, actually, because back then we didn't have cell phones and GPS mm-hmm. and all. That was just a paper map. And I was like, I think I'm on the right highway. Mm. But there was some kind of place and then like a little dinosaur exhibit out in the middle of nowhere. Oh, cool. You know, and I was like, well, this is cool. But it. You would have never found it. I never found it, and I love that. I mean, that's what I would say about Cameron, you know, take a drive and just let it it happen, whatever's going to happen. Yes, and there's excitement in that. At least there is for me when I go to a new place. A lot of times I wish that the people who come here now who've never been to Cameron Parish before could have seen it in the way that I remember it when I was growing up and as a young adult. Um, the uh, you know I mentioned we had a Vietnamese noodle shop and it was delicious. I don't I don't remember that, but I might have been. I just guess I didn't frequent the area enough. I don't recall it. We had just in the village of Cameron, we had uh, multiple pharmacies and grocery stores and um, hardware stores and supply stores and uh, we even when I was really young, uh, we had a movie theater. It was just a one screen. Yeah. That's kind of cool. We had uh, car dealerships and a thriving and bustling um, close-knit. It's still very close-knit. I've even been uh, told by uh, people who I consider friends that uh, things like, well, we know you guys are clannish in Cameron. Clannish. Mm -hmm. And what do they mean by that? That we stick together so tightly that we... Like if you're from the outside, you're not yeah. welcome. That yeah, kind of thing. I think there's some of that, and really? and I'm I'm guilty of that myself, uh, without shame. Uh, we have to protect ourselves in a lot of ways, um, and there may be argument or or infighting within our community sometimes, but if someone from the outside comes in and does something harmful to that person ah, that we're infighting with. I see. That it that's irre- whatever beef we have with them is irrelevant because we need to protect them against whoever else is going to hurt them from the outside. I see. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was drawn to engage myself in what was happening with FEMA. Yeah. Because it was an outside force like going, okay, this is a, this could go very badly mm-hmm. for the people who have mm-hmm. called this place home. Mhm. And um Sometimes, just like the earthworm thing, despite my what I thought was my very best effort to help, 
there were situations that didn't work out right. And I, I was following the Stafford Act and I was following the, the, the uh, instruction of my supervisors and I was trying to help people who needed a home and uh, we couldn't get it to their site because there were logistics issues and they went the entirety of the time that I worked for FEMA, which is some three years, and we could never get that temporary housing unit installed on their property so they'd have a place to live. That's a failure on my part that I think about often. Um, and, you know, we, we talked about what is it that, uh, what is it life-giving? What do we done? Are we taking, I feel like I'm continually in self-assessment. Mm. Did that work? Did that, how did I, and then sometimes it takes so long for something to actually come to fruition. I might talk to 30 or 40 people who are interested in one piece of property to do 30 or 40 different things before one person actually does anything on that piece of property. Yeah. I get what you mean about the, the, the self-assessment and, and it's almost like you're saying to allowing things to evolve and to change and like mm-hmm. get better. I, I find that I'm, I've had a hard time with not sensing when it's time for something to change. I feel like that that is very easy for me to do. And maybe for a lot of people, it's like I can feel it in my, not just mm-hmm. in my mind, but like in my spirit and in my body yes. even. It's like, okay, uh, I, I guess in Buddhism, we call it the bardo. It's like a feeling of change. You're in mm-hmm. the in-between right mm-hmm. now. This The in-between is like a literal energy that's in your life. And do you think that that's stress causing it is stress causing yeah because imagine you, being like that for 15 years yeah without relief exactly that's what these people felt like i mean just being stuck in sort of the in between the bardo of becoming something else mm-hmm. i find Cameron's i can't perpetual let go bardo. yeah perpetual bardo well y'all are i mean you're in the bardo now but you might be on the other side of it almost I guess is where where I'm getting eventually you get through that feeling and then things start to pop right Mm -hmm. like it's a a bursting open of something Mm -hmm. and then things start spilling out you Mm -hmm. know I uh I find I have a hard time when I get that feeling letting go of the thing that something was and then allowing it to move through I end up getting my left hand caught in the old thing and my right hand in the new thing and the center of me is stuck in the bardo and it keeps going and going and going. And I just, I'm, I, and that's fear. I think for me personally, and I mean, maybe it's that way for communities too. For me, that's fear. I'm afraid to let go of the thing that served its purpose mm-hmm. because that thing has still got, it, it was the platform, it was the mm-hmm. foundation, it was the launch pad. And mm-hmm. if I let go of it, is you know, then I'm in that, that groundless state right mm-hmm. then i don't i just don't have enough trust sometimes that no the thing on the right side in my other hand is is you know going to take me up to the next mm-hmm. floor so yeah I, I guess i wonder sometimes if that's not what communities go through too it's like we want to be who we were we want to retain it you can just grip it so tight mm-hmm. that you that um you get stuck in that place. I don't know. I just wonder that sometimes. I think that that could be the case. That could be said for our parish. Um, I think that it's not it's not necessarily easy to live here. The United States Department of Agriculture refers to us as a food desert. A food desert. Mm-hmm. What do they? I, I've never heard that. What does that mean? What do they mean? So by that? it basically refers to the fact that the limitations for access to fresh produce mm. and poultry and other meats. So everything has to be shipped limited. in? Is that what the, is well, it, is so, it? well, every, 
those That's things have to though. be delivered everywhere. Yeah, yeah, unless there's a really strong local farm-to-table initiative right. in a place, which Lake Charles is certainly working on that, and I commend them. And, you know, people like Matt Young that um, are so apparently and obviously making the place that they live better. That, yeah. that's That's what I'm trying to do. Um, we have a couple of grocers here that thank goodness i'm so grateful for them um and they are doing their level best to expand and they do catering services and and things like that i'm very proud of them and what i was saying about it's not necessarily easy to live here i live in an 1800 square foot house and i just recently got my homeowners and flood insurance uh from 7500 a year to 5500 a year and um it's difficult to pay the increased cost of compliance with federal I see. regulations and to to elevate our homes but I, i'm i'm going to continue to do it as long as i can physically and financially do it because i desperately want to be here and i, I think that if someone is not in a place that they desperately want to be whether it's the place in their the figurative place in their life or the literal place that they live and they're not working to make that better then that's useless yeah it's funny because i think for me anyway that reminds me of something that happened when i first started this show i was in an online conversation about that with some local folks that really just sort of had a list of grievances with the area and i mean i i I read the list and it actually kind of I normally don't get caught in a beehive online, but I did in this situation because what their their grievances were real. I mean, I read it and went, you know, I'm not a huge fan of complaining, but they're not wrong about what they're saying, right? The list of grievances were pretty pretty point spot on, but it was maybe the way they were worded that wasn't, you know, maybe some gentler language, but sometimes gentle language doesn't get the job done, I guess. Right. But it was really just a conversation. And... You know, what I found was that my answer to a lot of their questions was that, you know, I agree with that. This isn't so great. Or I agree with this. I wouldn't like that. I don't like that either. And I could probably add 10 more things to this list of 10, you know, and and other people chimed in and did too. But what I realized in listening to that was that there's a lot of reasons people stay in a place, even if they don't love uh, the land. If they don't love the community, they don't even love the people, they don't love the politics, they don't love... There's so many things that you can find to not love. Mm -hmm. But some people make decisions to stay in a place because their blood is there. Yes. You know, or they have relatives there that they need to be engaged with or... um, A sense of obligation. A sense of obligation. Their children have friends Mm -hmm. there. And so you have to... For me, sometimes the place becomes less relevant than the people. And I say, you know are these relationships of value and so can i if they're if the relationships are of higher value to me then am i willing to stay in the place for the relationships Mm -hmm. and then while i'm there try to make the place better are those people that were airing their grievances doing things to bring about positive change i don't really know the full answer to that i don't really know if i can answer that i mean i don't know them well enough yeah you know i was just curious i, I don't know if they were like act, in act, had a, like an activist heart or anything i would say that they were probably fine people mm-hmm. uh, i think they might even be business owners mm-hmm. um but it did create like a really big conversation and honestly i saw a lot of people that i now engage with through this show in that conversation um so, you know, they had that one little 
thing created a big dialogue. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people had similar sentiments, you know. Mm -hmm. I say it was in equal parts. You know, you had some that was like, yeah, I hate this place too. It sucks. Move. Uh, Or people who would chime in and say, yeah, I lived there. I tried for so many years, but I got sick of this and that or X and Y. And I I left and I'm so happy that I did. That kind of stuff was sort of breaking my heart when I heard that. Because, I mean, it would be easy to move away from a place when things get hard. Mm-hmm. It really could be, right? But when I mean, does that stop? But when does that stop? That's right. You keep chasing that, and you're going to be moving around because you're going to... As soon as you settle in, you're going to find it everywhere mm-hmm. you go. Something that's just not, you know... It's not Goldilocks's porridge, you know? It's not just right. Yeah. You know? A, a couple of years ago, I... um, Well, for a couple of years, I help to organize career fairs here for our parish students, our high school kids. And um, these were events where at one point I asked a a group of juniors to tell me uh, where Cameron LNG was located. And the answer is Hackberry. Mm. And uh, one student raised, which is in Cameron Parish, hence the name Cameron Liquefied Natural Gas. And uh, the, the student raised his hand, and he said, um, is it in, I asked where it was. He said, is it in Lake Charles? And that, that for me, started a, a series of frustrating uh, events and conversations because if a student is going to school in Cameron Parish... Oh, wow, And yeah. through some class, whether it's Louisiana history or just a history teacher taking the time to say, hey, do you guys know that our parish broke off of Imperial Calcasieu in 1870 and there were Atacapa Indians and there are mounds, historic mounds in our parish and there are, you know, 33 miles of the Calcasieu ship channel in our parish and there are 78 miles of coast. Something about our parish. There are four wildlife refuges and these are some of the birds and just some general knowledge about our economy and, and so that those students have some basis of knowledge about the place that they live. And so I I started to, and I'm surprised that I've never gotten any calls from angry parents about this, but um, so I started asking when I had a group of our high school kids together in an area uh, for them to raise their hand if uh, they really were proud of being from Cameron Parish and that they wanted to live and work here and raise their, their kids here. And um, right away, about eight or ten hands would pop up. And I would say things to them like, that makes me so glad. I, you know, I was born and raised here. I went to school here, graduated from South Cameron, and uh, I love our parish. And I'm, uh, I get to talk about it to people from all over the world and share information about all of us with them. And it's really exciting. And it makes me happy that you want to be here. And um, I'll help you write a resume. And if you need letters of recommendation, that you know, tell me things about yourself so I can help you. If that, I want to be of help to you. Yeah. This is what I do, kind of thing. Um, and then I ask the same kids. So tell me if you are not proud and you you don't really like to tell people that you're from Cameron Parish and that you can't wait for the day that you can leave and go somewhere else. And about the same number of hands pop up. Yeah. And I say to them, well, guess what? I am just as happy and committed to help you leave this fine and wonderful, beautiful place that I get to live as I am to help the people who want to stay here that just raised their hands. Wow. Because I would prefer for you to go away and find whatever 
greener pasture you think exists, and it might, it may. You may go somewhere else out of the parish or out of the state or out of the country and you find it, and I hope that for you. But don't stay here and sit in misery and not make it better for yourself and everybody else who lives here if you don't want to be here. Right. And I think that goes for everybody anywhere, wherever they are. Yeah, yeah. You can just get sour grapes and just make sour wine, right? Right. I mean, that's really it. And I really am. I'm happy to help those kids create a resume, apply for jobs uh, so that they can go to wherever it is that they think this nirvana exists. Um, and, And I would prefer for them to do that than to to not want to be here. And I'm happy, I know it, I'm helped. Do you ever hear a good song on the radio that just moves you? Maybe it stirs your heart, but then it starts to move your body too? Do people around you say things like, you've got rhythm, or where do you get your energy? Well, I've got a secret for you that might be your dance coming out, and the Whistle Stop Dance Sport might be just the job your dance is looking for. I know your first thought, but I don't have any dance experience. That's one of the good things about this opportunity. You don't need years of dance experience to do it. What Whistle Stop Dance Sport is searching for is a multi-dimensional talent. What does that mean? Okay, I'll tell you. You see, dance goes far beyond formal training, though that is a plus. Being able to dance means you can take life by the hand and let it put one arm around your waist and move to the rhythms that flow your way. To be a dance instructor at Whistle Stop Dance Sport, you'd need to have experience working with children, good rhythm, positive energy, and a personality for people. Dance Sport works to enrich children's lives by offering social, emotional, behavioral, and cognitive skills that naturally build confidence. Through dance, these children develop self-esteem, express themselves creatively, and strengthen critical thinking skills. Does the thought of affecting young lives in a positive way stimulate your mind, your heart? Do you want to do something that matters, something that could really change the course of a young person's life? Then maybe that's why you heard about this dance instructor position with Whistle Stop Dance Sport. You can send your resume or letter to Whistle Stop Dance Sport. 1518 18th Street, Lake Charles, Louisiana, 70601. That's 1518 18th Street, Lake Charles, Louisiana, 70601. Training dates for this position start in July 2019. So if you feel you may be right, don't wait to send in your resume. If you'd like to hear more about this position, call Whistle Stop Dance Sport at 337 515 7577. That's 337-515-7577. And if you do call, do me a favor and let them know you heard about this on Find the Good News. I get that. You want, you want, I I mean, that's really kind of what I talk to my son about all the time. It's like, you know, you kind of almost have to have an activist heart a little bit, you know, and say, I'm going to do something. Yeah. You know, something, whatever capacity I I can mm-hmm. to, to make it better, even if it's just doing it in your own yard. Mm-hmm. And maybe by doing it in your own yard, you affect your neighborhood. You know, maybe your neighborhood, you know, is a, a place people drive down and they go, hey, I want that in my neighborhood. It's just, I think sometimes, and I, I was talking about this in another interview I did a couple of weeks ago. I think sometimes it's because we don't see the change immediately. And we live in this sort of world where it's like, 
I mean, I call it a two-day two-day Amazon Prime world. You know, we see it, we think it. I wonder if this exists. Oh, it does. It's mm, here in two yeah. days. Sometimes I a need day. It, I want it. And it happens, and it trains us that that's how things work. But natural processes never work that way. Um, that's not the way anything is designed not really not organically no anyway. not at all so i think you know if we, we can artificially impose it in yeah, our amazon and that existence usually doesn't go too well Mm-mm. not really not when we impose ourselves on things and kind of force, force things them. yeah so you know yeah i mean i can shove a square through a hole but it's going to shave the edges off mm-hmm. you know that's and it's not a square anymore <laughs> that's right i've made it into something new mm-hmm. you know and fit into my my shape and so yeah i guess saying all that to mean that it takes time and you may not live to see it i always love that i mean about moses i love that one little thing there's all kinds of moses stories you know but the one that always sticks out to me was that he had his eye on the promised land you know but he never got to go there he could see it and he traveled through the desert and he took his people he did all the stuff but he never got to go there and that's hard. That's a hard pill to swallow. It is hard, but isn't that? I, sometimes I think that that's the sweetness of life, the the hope and the promise that whatever that is, is that yeah. that it's there. I yeah. know it's there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that can be said for the environment that we live in, the communities that we live in, the the vessel that we live in. Yeah. Um, I, I tell my son that he's my gloomy optimist <laughs> because I, I think that. Optimism should be all should should be tempered with reality. I, mm. I don't want him to be a, um, you know that, th- like you talked about earlier. Um, everything's going to be all right. There's a silver lining because that's who I don't. Yeah, it's so I, I unrealistic. Say it's hashtag best life. You know, I'm just not. Ugh, it's, eye roll. Yeah, I just don't. I'm like, eh, maybe not. Sometimes it's okay to just call call a mud puddle or a pothole a mud hole. And yeah, a pothole. You call know, it, it's okay what call it is. It like you see it, it but I want him is. to know that. Consistent optimism is certainly a life practice that I've tried to show him, and that um, if he if he has a coin and one side's negative and one side's positive, hope that it flips to the positive side, and and if he has some control over it to to impose that yeah whatever control that he has and so that it's a positive situation yeah and i'm really proud of him he's um he is pensive and thoughtful and kind and generous and he's he's really tall he's six foot five and he's only 16 and um he he used to uh, he went to iccs in lake charles from kindergarten through third grade and then we were able to get back to cameron and so he started school here and um, I think it was this third grade teacher at ICCS who told, oh no, maybe kindergarten. Anyway, she told me once that um, he was her little compromiser. Mm. And I thought, okay, mm. Claire, you've either done a really good job <laughs> or you're setting him up for a lifetime of, I'm Captain Compromiser. <laughs> Let's find yeah. the common ground, guys. Let's meet in the middle all right, the time. What have yeah. I done to this kid? <laughs> or, oh, good, I did something that even his teacher is recognizing. She said he doesn't go get in. I think she could tell that I was a little like, freaked out about it. Like, what, what does that mean, teacher? She's like, he doesn't go involve himself in other people's business. But if he's nearby and there's uh, some kind of conflict, 
he's the first one to say, hey, guys, what, you know, chill out. What are you doing? Yeah. It's not, we don't need to act like this. Yeah. So I thought, so okay. he's a peacemaker. Right. So now I'm, I'm thinking about that kind of conversation with his teacher now that he's 16 and so tall and so big. And he, he looks much more mature and behaves much more maturely than a 16-year-old would. Um, I wonder how that Captain Compromiser role is going to surface as he increasingly has opportunities to be involved with teenage hijinks. And yeah. Is he going to still be the compromiser? Is, is that going to get him into trouble when those who call themselves his friends pull him into situations to resolve them for him and so i worry i worry a lot about that that yeah and that that could be a really good trait too because i mean like a mediation type of uh situation right like you know he might not compromise but he might mediate like help people find the best solution which Mm -hmm. sometimes isn't a compromise right you know he and i sometimes talk about um the the way that people behave and and how certain circumstances get out of control and um, how sometimes it's the right thing to to back away from that or remove ourselves from it. Um, He, you know, we'll go to GameStop and he wants to talk about the newest Pokemon, Sapphire, whatever it is, and, and he's, you know, this much bigger than me. And I obviously look older than him, but maybe to the person behind the counter I, I don't look height. like as old yeah. yeah so he looks a lot older than he is and maybe I don't look my age and they're trying to figure out from the way we're talking interacting with each other you know why is this really big man wanting to know about games from that children would be playing and so he's he's done a lot to navigate through that he I think he recognizes that adults and some other people his age don't know how old he is and you know his vocabulary is larger than most and um he wants to go to japan wow and teach english in japan and i'm excited and scared all at the same time but i don't i don't i don't ever want to step in between his that's his life right i didn't have him to make him have the life that I want him to have. I want him to have the life that he wants to have. That's very hard as a parent. I I think it is. I mean, to be, uh, I don't know if you've ever read The Prophet by Khalil Gibran, but there's a whole thing in there. If you ever get a chance to, it's a lovely book. And uh, there's a whole section in there about children. And I've always tried to take that approach that, you know, and I'm going to butcher the way it's said, but he says something to the effect of, just as much the crea- as the creator loves the um, loves the uh, arrow that flies, so also does he love the bow that is stable. You know, and, and the whole poem is basically talking about children as the arrows. You know, and that we are the bows, and we're bent by the creator. He bends us mm-hmm. to fire these arrows straight and true. And I lo- always loved that. Like, can I be a willing bent bow? Am I okay with having my string pulled? the way it needs to be pulled for that arrow to fly where it needs to fly. And and am I okay with not knowing what that target is? I mean, look, can I trust? That's a tough, tough thing as a parent sometimes. Because I hear things coming out of my kids' mouths. They have dreams that are not my dreams. Mm -hmm. You know, they have desires that aren't my desires. Mm -hmm. You know, 100%, especially with, you know, I saw it with my daughter, but I see it even more so with my my boys. I mean, Mm -hmm. they're really 
fired up about the future. I mean, they're, they're excited about their dreams. That's wonderful. Even at eight years old, I see my, my youngest do, wanting to do things that I didn't even start contemplating till much later in mm-hmm. life. I'm like, man, he's really passionate about some things awesome. already. Like, yeah. how has that happened? These mm-hmm. kids, I guess because they, they have access now. They, they can, their curiosity doesn't have to trail out. I was talking about this with another guest. They, our, ours maybe trailed out. We, we got a curiosity. We had to go to our parents. We had to go to our grandparents, maybe the library, maybe a teacher. Yeah, and so it kind of trails out, right? We had two channels. Mm-hmm. You know, you were lucky if you got to watch something on the the UHF channel every once in a mm-hmm. while it was a little offbeat but kids now get a curiosity and they can go pick that sore right and go scratch it off and go ooh what's under here and it's like oh there's this and now this and now this and I'm like man he, he knows things I'll say something we'll be talking about the stars and the planets and I, I called a moon around uh, Jupiter the wrong thing the other day. And he was like, no, Dad, that's not that one. It's the other one. And he told me the name. And that's the one with the volcanoes. It's mostly made out of. And I was like, dude, you're eight years old. And you just scolded. Is that you good? just schooled I mean, me on stuff that I wasn't even thinking about. I mean, I wasn't thinking about all that at all i mean i i never can't someone said i didn't have an appreciation but i never right. scratched the paint off you know and went any deeper but is it i wonder if it's good if it it, it the access to information mm. i i would say and i this is my experience <laughs> i was thinking about this out here because i keep thinking about my kids as we're sitting out here how much especially my boys because my daughter doesn't live with us anymore but I think about the two different experiences I would get out here. My older boy would come out here and he would want to just sit in the silence and listen to the waves and the wind. And I think he would be like, I love it out here, that part. He wouldn't be as as fascinated by the diversity of life that I see. He wouldn't be fascinated by the minutiae of vegetation and the colors. He would just want to feel something. He would feel the rhythm of nature. My youngest would, he's got a microscope and a telescope, you know, and a binoculars. And I think between those three things, I'm always fascinated with the way he can engage the world. And I can see him out here. He would want to bring his microscope and his binoculars. And he would want to investigate investigate and look at the small details of what's out there. He's like, I want to go, ooh, this is a plant I haven't seen. I'm going to scrape a piece off and look at it under my microscope. That's to- two totally different they're both wonderful though. Mm-hmm. So I think as long as I guess where I'm going with that is access to information is good as long as it translates over into engagement with reality. I that's the same that's thing with people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can read about I would call myself a religion enthusiast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, past, I would call you a religion. That, that's probably enthusiast. it. I mean, some people go, I think some people mistake that with me that I'm religious. And I go, no, I'm a religious. I heard somebody say it through that. They go, oh, that's the best way to describe it. I'm a religion enthusiast. I'm fascinated by religion. I love it, actually. I'm scared of it, too. But I do love It's fascinating to me what forms out of mm-hmm. I think it's just an incredible way to engage the world, look at it through those eyes. I'm going somewhere with that. But, okay, so, yeah, if I can learn a lot about that mm-hmm. stuff. Engagement. Engagement, yeah. yeah. But if I don't use it to, like, try to go, okay, well, I've read this book maybe, and this is their philosophy and their wisdom tradition, and here's their traditions. 
and how they manage the heart. Mm-hmm. But if I never go engage with a human heart, yeah, I don't know if that's valid or not. It's nothing. It's just information in my head. So what? So yeah, it's like that to me. I guess that's a long way to say. Just I think engagement is probably the dan- the good way of handling information. Because I mean, God, what's the point? Right. And knowing stuff, who cares? I mean, if you know stuff, so what? Mm-hmm. I mean, really, I hate to say it that way, but I could know some stuff. It doesn't amount to nothing. I agree. Nothing. It's literally just stuck in this bone and brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, Useless. Yeah. Useless, yeah. I mean, just like this show. I mean, coming out here and talking to you, I, I'm, I'm super stimulated out here right now because most of the time I'm talking to people. You know, you came and did that mm-hmm. once. It's in the four walls and it's in this safe environment that's my environment. But I love coming out here and being in this space and talking to you in it. Because I can... I hope that the audio will pick up the, it will. the waves and the, the I can bird hear it. songs. And, and I hope the audience can too. Well, you know, that's the other part of this. Um, I'm going to go drive around this afternoon and catch some video too. Awesome. And I, haven't, I don't do that on the regular episodes, but that way that people can get a visual idea, mm-hmm. you know, of the space that we were in and then just the environment. Um, and hopefully what I'm hoping will encourage people to, to actually take the, make the drive. I really appreciate Cameron. I I am grateful that you have done this. I'm glad it worked out, honestly. Because it's often not what people expect when they get here. No, I mean, I'm surprised. uh, I'm pleasantly surprised. I... Like I said, I hate to say it, guilty, shame, something. I just... I'm, I'm, I'm just at that age where I go, why was... One, why was I never brought here? (laughs) <laughs> and then two, why didn't I seek it out? What was I doing? What was, now, I, what was I doing? Yeah. You know, like what was I wasting time doing? Right. When I could have just been, instead of going, <coughs> hey, you guys are going to watch a movie, which I like movies, mm-hmm. but I mean, you know, but after at, at a certain point you, you run out of this. I hear people say, they'll tell me, well, there's nothing to do, there's nothing to do. Well, hmm. sometimes doing nothing is a good thing, yes. but maybe doing nothing in a new environment is the right thing to do. Yeah. Right? And so I think... It's a great place to come and just relax yourself. One of my really good friends from DeRitter recently texted and asked about uh, a place to eat and use the restroom. And uh, She said she wanted to take her grandsons to escape. Mm, escape. Yeah, and I sent her a pen, and I said, this is the road, and this is how you get there, and it's about this far from this restaurant and this far from this restaurant, and they both have restrooms, and... Um, this is where the family dollar is in relation to where you are in case you need to get a chair, an ice chest, or, where, you know, you don't come down here with what you need. And she said that they were, I, I can't wait to hear what how the escape went. Um, because just like we started the conversation today, that's what this is. This It's um, a meditative space for me. It is a an escape. And, and having it so accessible... Um, is probably uh, a good thing for my mental health. <laughs> yeah. Because um, it restores me in a way that I don't know that there are other things that, that do. I, two of my best friends, we often come to the beach together. And we all, all I noticed that all three of us do this. So we'll have a time that we're going to meet at the beach. And inevitably, one of us accidentally on purpose gets there first (laughs) so we get some time to you know for that silent lucidity that 
Um, and we've never talked about it. We just we just do it. And so I'll drive up, and one of them is already there. And I'll say, well, how long have you been here? Oh, I got here about an hour ago, and I was just going to sit. And, yeah, <laughs> I know what you're doing. You're stealing it. Um, uh, I like that. But then we get to be together in this space. And, you know, sometimes... 20 or 30 minutes will pass and we don't say anything to each other and we're sitting right by each other but we're all appreciating it we got to be kids here and do uh, trash cleanups here together and be in high school and have bonfires together and now as adults we get to come here with our kids um, and revisit it enjoy it like our parents did um, that's why it's it's difficult to see people who um, who don't treat it the same way that we do. Yeah. So I can um, see that. It's nice. It's it's so like these po- these people that are here right now. They parked on the limestone area and they walked the I don't know maybe twenty or thirty y- yards, which is not arduous. Yeah. Um, and we don't see anybody um, rip roaring and, and doing donuts and um, being destructive, but. And, and so that's why I appreciate it. it. It allows everybody to enjoy it. Yeah. No, it, it, leave, it leaves something behind for other people. I know um, other beaches like Crystal Beach, you know, my, mm-hmm. our family does our family reunion there. And, and they recently had a lot of trouble over there that was yes. in the news. And I, it's you juxtapose that environment that was coming out of those news stories with what you see right here today, which is really just serene. There's nobody out here. Um on one hand, you can go, well, you know, I want, I'd like, I'd like my sand a different color. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, it's like you, you want to, and this gets back to what we were talking about, about people. You know, you may trade the color of the sand, but you're going to trade something else too. You know, you might get that, you might get something that your eyes can look at, and maybe you like that better, but the color of the water a little better, whatever it is. But what's your real experience going to be? You know what I mean? I mean, like a lot of that has to do with what you're going to encounter and engage mm-hmm. engagement. There you go again. I mean, a couple of years ago, one of those best friends that I was talking about that we come out here and, and meet, um, she and I were here for a 4th of July celebration. And we met this husband and wife who, uh, we talked to for an hour or so. And, um, they were from somewhere in New England. I don't remember where. Um, shame on me for forgetting. They were delightful, probably in their mid to late 20s. And um, my one of my best friends and I, I don't know which one of us, asked them, you know, why, where, why did you find this place? How did you find this place? And they said they did a search for free places to RV. Free places to RV. In the United States. Okay. And they said this was the... So they had left New England, traveled down the, the Atlantic seaboard, gone through Florida, were making their their way toward the west, toward California, and had decided to come through here. They they want... The, the draw was New Orleans. Okay. So they went through New Orleans and they stopped here. And they said that by far this was their the favorite place for both of them that they had been from the time they left New England and traveled down the really? Atlantic coast through Florida and to here. And why was that? Did they say? The feeling that they got, the, wow. the access to nature and the people who greeted them who live here on Rutherford Beach and the, the relaxing environment. The, the same reasons why I like it. Yeah. 
And I said, I told them, I was like, well, I'm torn. You know, I want to tell you to go tell your friends. And at the same time, I want to say, can you keep quiet? Right. Can you, don't tell anybody. Um, so it can be our secret. Um, but I do tell people. That's what my job is, is to tell people about Cameron Parish. So that's, that's what I do every day. Um, and it's hard for me to turn off that spigot. You know, people call me at 7.30 on Sunday mornings and I answer my phone and they say, oh, well, I'm sorry, I thought I was going to get to leave a voicemail message. And I'm like, no, you, you called my phone. I, you, you must need something. Yeah. Or you wouldn't have called. So what? how can I help you? Um, and I'm so lucky that I get to do that. Yeah. So I you, get to do every day what I really love to do. How special is that? I mean, the fact that you embrace it, too, because you could take a totally different attitude and go, oh, my gosh, you know, <laughs> come on again. I mean, you I could know, do I, that. I mean, that's Sometimes I do. Well, I mean, we probably all do. Not on the see, outside. On the inside. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I mean, I guess I can relate not like that. I mean, on any scale like that. But I had a conversation with some folks who had just moved to southwest Louisiana. I was getting a cup of coffee in Lake Charles at Stellar Bean, and they were coming through, and they were they were they, were, they bought a house in Lake Charles, and the, their job had brought them in, and they were talking to the lady working there, asking her some questions, and I couldn't help but eavesdrop. And so I realized for the first time in my life, and that's really the truth, the first time after, because of the blessing of this show, I was like, wow, I actually now because i've had 40 conversations with 40 wonderful people from this area i can actually answer their questions and so as they were walking so by and i awesome. never do that i was like hey I, I couldn't help but overhear you and i gave them my card had the podcast on there i said look i'm not trying to get a new listener i said but i've had some really great conversations with local people. I said, I really think you should go listen to this. I think you'll get a, a good idea. Mm -hmm. A lot of what you were talking about and mm -hmm. asking, a lot of these people have answered. I said, and then you're going to find out about all these wonderful people. And then we ended up talking for an hour. And I thought, wow, what a wonderful thing to just that one little circumstance. But what mm -hmm. a wonderful thing that is to be mm -hmm. able to actually portray your area properly, mm -hmm. you know, and not just. Again, not sugarcoating it, but not focusing on all the mm -hmm. the yin-yans and the problems the and all the stuff. Because you can do that. I mean, I could have went like, man, what are you doing moving yeah. here? Let me tell you my list of 20 grievances with Southwest Louisiana. Mm -hmm. You know, instead going, no, I've got maybe, maybe there are a list of 20 grievances, but I've got 40 people that I've talked to at length who have... 50 positives a piece yes you know so listen to them don't listen to my, my mentor used to say all the time um we live in a time of abundance mm, that's true and we should recognize it yeah, acknowledge that it is abundance yeah whether it's commercial fisheries or recreational fishing or the 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 efforts in coastal restoration and protection whether it's traditional oil and gas whether it's uh measures taken to uh, increase opportunities in education whatever it might be if we keep working together even though we don't always agree to make the lives of the people who live here better then how can that be a bad thing and i'm happy 
This episode's Fishing for Goodies Fishbowl sponsor is Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center in Sulphur, Louisiana. I don't know what you look for when you travel, but one of the things I look for when I'm putting together my itinerary is a unique museum or gallery in the city I'm traveling to. I do this almost every time I go to a new city, but if I'm being honest, I'm guilty of not always doing that very thing right here at home in Sulphur, Louisiana. That's really a shame because we have one of the most interesting, historically relevant, and culturally rich corners in any city in the country about two minutes from where I'm sitting right now. I'm talking about the Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center. Have you ever really thought about why our city is named Sulphur? They've got a permanent exhibit on the history of the sulphur industry that answers that simple question and more. You really get a full scope of just how important the sulphur mining industry was to the development of Southwest Louisiana and the impact it had on the rest of the world. Yes, the rest of the world. On the same property, right next door to the museum, is the Henning Cultural Center, presenting some of the most interesting, modern, and culturally relevant local art shows I've ever seen. My dear friend Tom Trahan and the Brimstone Historical Society have really worked hard to give us this treasure, and it's a multifaceted jewel that I plan to take advantage of more often. You don't have to wonder what their hours are, or how to get there, or what shows are coming up. Just go to brimstonemuseum.org, like I did, and subscribe to their mailing list right there on the homepage. That's brimstonemuseum.org. Tom will make sure you start getting the announcements for each and every new show at the gallery. But you don't have to wait for the mail to arrive to enjoy this historical local treasure. You don't have to be guilty, like me, of overlooking a local wonder that conveniently sits next to the Grove, one of the most beautiful walking parks in southwest Louisiana. Drop in and say hi to Tom for me. Tour the museum and center, and make sure to tell Tom that you heard about Brimstone Museum on Find the Good News. Now, let's take that dive in the fishbowl. It's been a good conversation. We got a little bit more to go, okay. though, because you know what's next, right? Well, and you've already done this once, but it's fishbowl time. Well, I face staring me in the face is the garbage pail uh, kid, Boney Tony. <laughs> so I'd pick just one at a time. One at a time, and look, you know that there's different types in there. Mm-hmm. So you've you've done this before. Yeah, I forgot what the questions were when I did it the first time. I think I'm gonna go with. This ah, one. yes, user sub, uh, listener submitted question. Oh, God. Uh-oh, I don't know what it says. So. <laughs> wow. Okay. What breaks your heart? Oh my gosh. Can we start our time over? Man. Um, what's like goodness. the one thing though? there's probably like thing? a linchpin I mean I'm like that too like what where should I start but like what is there something that you go it's every time it's every time yeah okay I got one yeah, I mean, so uh, what breaks my heart is observing someone's spirit get crushed or uh, damaged yeah that's just rough whether it's my kid or a family member, a friend, a loved one, anyone on the street, when something happens and you can see discouragement or someone else um, by their words breaks someone. Yeah. Uh, I think it's particularly heartbreaking for me when I see it happen to a child. Mm-hmm. You know, don't have any dreams. You can't win the race. Don't even run. That soul-crushing, spirit-taking. I think there's a, there's a, a, you, there's a um, 
universal or um, some some sort of punishment on a magnitude that we can't comprehend for the people who do that to others. You can see it when it happens too. I it I actually agree. It may not be the the linchpin thing, but it's high on my list. I think it's because it's been done to me. You know. I think that that's probably why it bothers me. I, I, I have this weird radar for it. Like I was at the grocery store a couple of weeks ago shopping and I saw this dad and his son and I don't know why, but I could just feel it off of them that there was like a, a father-son tension. And I heard the dad ask the son to do something and I was just out of the karma eye watching him and the son just kind of winced or sighed or something and his dad just like yanked his arm and like just started to just strip him down basically in the store and I I watched the kid just it's none of my business but at the same time I know because he's not doing anything that anybody would say is abuse most people would say oh well you know that's his son that's the way it is you know you know what is the spare the rod spoil the child all that kind of stuff and I just kind of watched out of the corner of my eye and I could just see the the life just drain out of that kid and I was like man I know that that most people most folks would probably be like eh whatever but I was just like this kid's life is literally changing right Mm -hmm. here and how often does this happen you know and how is that going to shape and form him into a parent and a a caregiver or a spouse to someone else what yeah I just I wish people would think just a little bit more before they take actions that kills a spirit yeah yeah don't tell somebody like i know i could do that i mean i could totally rewrite history and when my son starts talking about the planets and telescopes and wanting to go do things with microscopes and and build rockets and all these things he wants to do and just go son what are you doing who Mm -hmm. cares son Mm -hmm. why are you doing that that's not gonna work or i don't know yeah, uh, yeah defeat there a spirit, all forms, beat it out of yeah, it. There are all, I think there are multiple forms of spirit killing that I see happen, and um, that it breaks my heart for sure. Um, okay, can I do, are we ready for next yeah, one? Yeah, ready when you are. It's like question roulette. It makes me very nervous. <laughs> I'll play with you, so it's okay. Okay. If you could choose your last words, what would they be? Oh, my gosh. So this one's easy for me. Two um, heavy questions, though. Yeah, it, it's good. Um, so my my best friend's mom, this is immediately what I think about when I read, so when I read this question. Um, um, my best friend, <clears throat> her mom passed away several years ago uh, from leukemia. She was a radiology technician, and um, she was... Uh, my mom, my mom tended to be strict, and this is your curfew, and you're my only child, and nothing can happen to you, and you've got to obey all the rules and do everything exactly right, and you know. Um, and my my best friend's mom was she had three kids, and two of them were boys, so uh, we. It was it was um, like where the wild things are. We were safe, but yeah. we got to ride horses and come ride horses on the beach and it was adventure and my mom was adventuresome too but I was the only one so it wasn't like oh something happens to her I got two more it but for my best friend's mom it was um go she took the approach of go live your life do the what do you guys want to do 
you're old enough to start making some decisions. You figure out what, what it, you're going to need to do all these things for us and feed the cows and make sure the horses get water and the blah, 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 blah. Right. Do all these things and then go to the beach. So I loved her and still love her very deeply. And I was so grateful then and now that my friend allowed me to share her with her. And so when, when she was dying in the hospital, I climbed up in bed with her and um, I, she could only open one eye at that point and she opened her eye and, and I said, it's me and I, I'm laying there by her and um, she was in that sort of rhythmic breathing that happens before a person uh, passes away. And I said, I love you so much. And she hadn't said anything in hours, maybe. And she, in that breathing, said, I love you. Like, an oh, in wow. and an out. And that was the last thing that she said. And um, for me, that whatever, if, you know, if I'm in a ditch or if I'm in an accident or it's, a, you know, I succumb to an illness, that's what the last thing that leaves my body I want. That's what, I love you. If I could choose them, that's what it would be. That's that's. And then maybe I might be alone when it happens. I always think that. That's actually a fear, I guess, of mine. I, I maybe not a fear, but I want my family, my children, especially, and my wife. I think that God, if something happens to me ever, if I'm, you know, because it does happen. People drive, get in accidents, whatever. I drive could, a lot. Yeah, and I mean me too. And I think, you know, I mean anything could happen. Especially in the world today. I mean, we see it all the time. Tragedies happen mm-hmm. and people are just gone. Mm-hmm. And I, I always think that. Like, I just want to make sure that they know I love them. And I try my best, especially when I leave the house, to always, always make sure every person that was there never, mm-hmm. never, even if they're sleeping, like, especially with my littlest one, I go in there and rub his head and tell him bye, even though he can't hear me. And that may be just more for me than him. I don't mm-hmm. know. But I just want him to know. Mm-hmm. I, that's important. I agree. That's, Absolutely. It's, it's the highest value. I struggled for a long time after my mom's mother, the one who said, look at that. It says going home. He's not supposed to yeah. go anywhere without me. Um, the seagulls. Yeah. Uh, I struggled for a long time with feeling as though, I mean, for years, maybe four years after she passed away, not clearly articulating to her so that there was no question for her how important she was to me how her influence and her life and the impression she made on me turned me into the person that I was because she was very unassuming and um, I mean to the point where I would wake up during sleep and be troubled by it and not Mm. be able to get to sleep and uh thinking about it a lot and I I guess maybe I just came to a a point a a place of peace where I knew wherever her spirit was that she knew and I I didn't it didn't require maybe that's my way of making myself feel better about it but what it did is it created a circumstance where when I care about someone and I love them I say I appreciate that you're a part of my life and I care so deeply for you and it is genuine and you've made this difference in my life because I might not get to say it to them again. Yeah. The the day before she died, I called her to ask her how many tablespoons were in a stick of butter. And she said, she told me eight. And then she said, you know, I'm not going to be around forever 
You're going to need to learn this stuff. You're going to need to know how many tablespoons are in a stick of butter. She didn't say it rudely, but in her same you stole the powder puff thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're going to have to know this without me. Yeah. Ready for the next one? Yeah, that's a okay. good answer. I like that. I feel like if I pull the big card, that it it's somehow the not big, as big real ones. as the paper. Yeah, no, the big ones, those are like, the paper ones are from listeners. Okay. Then so, I'm, yeah. I'm, li- I'm listener oriented. <sighs> what is your most prized earthly possession? Ooh. That's a good question. I don't know what I would... Oh, I, I think goodness. I know the answer to that. I don't know. Earthly possession. So I'm going to probably book tradition and I don't... So I don't... That, this is so hard for me because Rita and Ike taught me that everything is temporary. Mm, yeah. I don't really possess anything. Really? It can be taken out of my hands and my fingers like sand. Yeah. Um... Uh, But I guess if I have to pick something, wow, that there's a lot of things that I was able to find in the mud after Rita that when I saw them, my heart sank because I thought, oh, my gosh, now I still have this thing. Um, My my grandma, who's my my dad's mom, she collected spoons from around the world. She she had traveled all over and she had these um, spoon display. Yeah, like the little pewter spoons. And they have like all the places you visited. Yeah. Um, She had one that was had captured my interest particularly and it had an amethyst um, colored stone on top of it I don't even know where it was from but um, I was supposed to inherit her entire spoon collection oh okay and she has 28 grandchildren so that was a big deal yeah and um, (laughs) yeah she um, after the storm she did not take them out with her when we evacuated and so she lost like this wall full of spoons that she had collected over I don't know she was 80 when the storm when Rita hit and uh, so we were at her property looking for anything we could find and I saw that purple amethyst ended you know four inch long spoon sticking up out of the mud so things like that are are prized to me Um, things that we thought were lost that we just found in a tree or I have an Afghan that my, my other grandmother um, handmade that was in a tree and I climbed up in the tree to, to pull it out and it's in my living room just like an Afghan in anybody else's mm-hmm. room but every single time I look at it it I remember that it was in the tree and that yeah. we had to get it out so we you could know, salvage it. That's different than most of our answers, I think. You know, we would, if we haven't been through something like that, there's a different type of uh, energy to that, a different way of treasuring something when it was lost and found. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, I might lose it again. Yeah. There may be another storm and I don't evacuate with it and those things will be gone. Um, my my mother left a trunk before Rita that had my baptismal gown, her mm. wedding dress, sentimental things. And still she'll occasionally say, you know what was in that trunk, Claire? And she'll remember some other thing that was there. Um, the, the, dis- the, the life distortion exercise that happens after a natural disaster is... 
not easy for me to explain unless someone has been through it. We talked about fire earlier. I have a cousin who lives in Bastrop, Texas, and um, she has in her lifetime, she's just a few years older than me, but she's undergone some uh, just unbelievable things. Um, there was a natural disaster with fires in Bastrop several years ago. Their home burned completely to the ground. Uh, she has twin girls, and one of them is now cancer-free. Um, years of treatment and the, the surgeries that happened after to repair her joints that came from the treatment that she had because of the cancer. And so they, they've been through some rough, dark stuff. Yeah. And when their home burnt down, the first people that she called was us, the people who lived in Cameron, because she said that was the the loss that she thought so you know she can't go get her kids baby pictures they right. they happened to be on vacation when these fires oh, happened really? so they were yeah gone. so they were gone they had flip-flops and swimsuits and oh know, wow gulf so, shores yeah, they, they weren't they none, came home to nothing and so um that pains me in a way that i don't think i could experience had i not it pains me for her that she yeah. had to go through that had I not been part of that loss. And my, I mentioned that the, my parents lived in that house for 35 years, the one that I grew up in, that was gone. And they put, they got another house after Rita that had 19 or so inches of water and mud in it after Ike. Wow. And my mom has said to me over and over again that it was easier to have a home that was completely obliterated than it was to have a home still standing that they had to go back and forth in and out of and meet the adjusters there and see the mud on the walls and try to clean the mud off of the... And it's not like mud like in a mud puddle. It's like clay, this gray, thick, mucousy, viscous coat of destruction that destroys everything that it touches. Uh, and so that that caused a lot of you know panic and anxiety for my mom, just having to go back in and out of the house and try to find what they could salvage. And she's like, I just wish it would be gone too, because then I couldn't see it yet, just gone away, so that I, I could at least remember what it was like, maybe in its glory. Oh, instead of having to have the other the other image, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I I think you know, hmm. it's interesting. I think about that as you say that. I think if, it makes me think of uh, my dad actually. You know, I dream of when I dream about him now, he's young and healthy, you know, and I'm glad that that's how I dream about him. But it's not when I'm awake and I think of him, unfortunately, most of the times it's it's when he was sick. And that's it's harder. It's like, you know, I wish I could just supplant the. The dream time. The dream, and I, and, I, and it's nice to have dreams. I mean, I'm not gonna lie; those are good things, and in pictures and things like that, where I can put those images in my head. Because the the other one, it's just like that that mud. It's it's painful mm-hmm. because it's it's it is. It just is. That's all it is. I don't know mm-hmm. way to say it. It's just it's not it's not a picture of health. It's a picture of suffering. But what know? a gift that you get to see him in dream time. In, yeah. In his prime and. Yeah, you know, that is interesting. I had one good... There was one time right after he passed away, not too long, maybe a few weeks, I was in a store, and uh, he was... I saw him out of the corner of my eye, and it was the strangest dream. I got to see him, and every time I would turn the aisle to try to 
to talk to him because I was like, oh, there's my dad. He's not dead. That was kind of like the dream. Oh, he's not dead. It's my dad. He's right there. And so I was like, dad, dad. And I'd go to talk to him and he would go around the corner with his buggy. And then when I would make the corner, he would be on the next aisle, but he would look different. He would be a different version of himself, like all the different versions throughout his life. Wow, but it what was a cool so dream. strange. I remember waking up going, I got, but it was like the last version of him was like young. He was young and healthy. It was like his, I guess, 19, 20 year old self, you know, before I was born. And it was just a, a nice dream. And I sometimes. Isn't can, that amazing that your brain was doing that? It is amazing. And I think. There's a lot of things you could apply to that. I mean, for me, I've thought about it a lot. I had to make a... I, I did his video for the funeral. Mm -hmm. And so I had all these pictures and I spent... It was a good exercise for me, honestly. A very heart-wrenching one, but I, it changed me. So I, I was home alone doing that for like seven or eight hours one day. And so it was going through all these pictures cutting him out and I was trying I, I do video editing so I wanted it to be nice and so it was like doing all the timing treating it using the skills I had but applying it to this person that yeah. is so important in your life and I think that might be what did that it was like the video I made was kind of like that he's a baby he's a boy he's a he's a soldier he's yeah. a father he's a husband you know yeah and I think that what happened is my bed was kicking around in my brain somewhere, but my brain created it like mm -hmm. an experience for me, mm -hmm. you know, like a virtual reality world where I could go see him moving and breathing and happy, yeah, healthy. But no version of him in that dream was like, like he was in the hospital. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like my mind didn't put that there. Just, yeah. Everything else was there. It's interesting. I had an experience similar to that um, about two years ago. Um, one of the people I love most in the world, my cousin Laurie, she and her husband and their daughter lost um, her son. And he was in his 30s and <clears throat> he was born uh, with some developmental issues. And so he was our baby his entire life. And um, he became ill and passed away. And they have a home here in Cameron, which they've always had. And they bought a home in Lake Charles so that if they needed to evacuate, they'd have a place. Well, that's where they keep all of their uh, albums of pho photographs. So I was there. I happened to be there because we all, they all graciously and generously let us use it. Like if we're in between meetings or so that we don't have to drive to Lake Charles early in the morning, drive all the way back to Cameron and drive back if we have to be in there in the afternoon. They, they let us hang out there because no one lives in that house full time. Long story short, my cousin Laurie asked me when he passed away if I would go through the albums while I was there. I, my son was in driving school and he had to be there at 8 a.m. the next morning so we went the night before to, so we wouldn't have to drive all the way from Cameron to Lake Charles for the driving yeah. course. So I got this opportunity to go through all of their albums and she, like my mom, takes tons and tons of pictures and she actually takes the time to well, I was about to say get the film developed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm dating myself. But um, when you had to get film developed, so she would do it then and she still gets her, her photos printed out. Long story short, although I was overwhelmed with sadness that he wasn't with us here anymore and I couldn't imagine the pain that my cousin and her husband and their daughter were, the loss that they were feeling because he was so important. But what I got to do was see pictures of him in a bouncy house and in the mm. swimming pool with all of us around him and it wasn't 
just one event. It was a lifetime of on the beach and in the water and mm. with family and birthday cake after birthday cake and uh, happiness and joy and the world that they created for him to get the most the highest and best experience out of his life and how that spilled over into all of our lives. And she wanted me to get pictures together. Um, what a great, so that, you, you know, you talked about that those moments that got captured that happened to be where the, 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 the photo was actually taken, how mm, that yeah, captures yeah. something. But yeah, I, I was really grateful because in all that sadness, I was like, wow, look how joyful and joyous our family is and how much we love each other and uh, yeah. all those special things that happened that we got to be a part of was right. pretty awesome. It is interesting. Death is something I think about a lot and I think sometimes when we when we when we talk about it it, it can be one of those situations where it's like, well, it was so sad we lost them so early. No, I think I think it's, you know, when you see a young life lost and you go, oh, you, you can focus on all those intense good things. And then then I think sometimes we, we say, well, we want to see all the seasons of life, you know. And I think that's maybe the more, for me, the fear of death is not dying necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's that I want to be around for the seasons, you know, mm -hmm. just uh, to be around for even the, the bad seasons, you mm -hmm. know. Of I, I, I have this sort of, it's strange. I guess with me, when I think of death, I just, I don't ever feel fear. I just feel like, and that's more to do with me, but I feel fear when I think about others in my family. That's what I feel, because I have this feeling of like, but then, you know, I won't be there to steward them. I won't be there to ferry them to the other shore, you know, I won't be there to lift them or um, that's the kind of thing that makes me feel fear it's not when it comes to death it's more that kind of stuff mm -hmm. not not the idea of just being this body being you know gone I agree yeah sometimes I think that as much as it would pain me to lose my parents or my husband or my child that I would rather lose because I know how much they love me and if there is one of us that has to go first and be without the other, I would take being here and going through that pain because I know how much they love me and I wouldn't want them to hurt like that. Yeah. yeah. I know that sounds no, completely I mean, screwed up and backwards, it, but I don't want anybody to be heartbroken because I'm gone. Right. You don't want to be the source of their no. pain. I, I understand that. No, I get it. I, it makes sense. And I want them to remember you know a, a realistic picture of me so then I want that realistic the the reality to be that that I was a source of light in their life yeah and goodness so I gotta do that while yeah, I'm here that's right it sounds like you are doing that well, thank you so how do people connect with you find you like what's the mm. best way man because you're doing I'm a elusive. lot of stuff but i mean <laughs> I, you know i know granted they can follow you on social media but yeah, as, that, that might just be only one snapshot what's like Kinda the boring. best way like if you want people to get a full scope of like what's going on with you if you want people to do that um personally i don't necessarily um um i think i share too much of myself yeah um on occasion not like this is I, this is great I'm, I really enjoy it I, I tend to um, 
want to be intimate and engaged. I think it's just uh, something I naturally feel um, and want to do. Um, and it, professionally, uh, I have to remind myself that that I don't have to do that. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. But if people want to learn more about Cameron Parish, because there's lots of misinformation that floats around. Um, they can, in terms of our economy, it's a, a good resource to visit our par- our police. My goodness, if I can get one of them out. Our ports website. Okay. Which is just CameronParishPort.com. Okay. P-O-R-T, port.com. Um, you can also visit the Cameron Parish Police Jury's website, CameronPJ.org. You can find lots of information from those two websites alone. Uh, our port developed a newcomer's guide, which has all kinds of wonderful, helpful information uh, from when our public dump sites are open in winter hours and summer hours and where restaurants are and uh, the post office and things that would like the newcomers that you saw in Stellar Beans, people like that might need to know, but also developers. We are working right now with Louisiana Economic Development to um, certify our parish in their Development uh, Ready Communities program. The only, uh, that is reserved for municipal areas, but because we don't have any municipal areas, they're allowing us to do it get the certification parish-wide. The only other community in southwest Louisiana that has that certification from Louisiana Economic Development is the city of DeRitter. So in that void, we would like to be the guinea pig and and have it happen parish-wide for Cameron, which I I think is a great thing. And we've got a lot of involvement in that process. Um, The, um, the, in terms of the industrial projects, our, our, public port authority that I direct. We have a project tab on our website at CameronParishPort.com that has direct links to all of those projects. Okay. Um, If anybody's interested in liquefied natural gas export projects and the facts of those projects, I would strongly encourage them to visit the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission's website. That's the FERC, F-E-R-C. And uh, FERC.gov. You can, in the search bar, type in a word or phrase like Commonwealth LNG or Monkey Island LNG or Chenier Energy or any Magnolia LNG, any project that you want to learn factual information, which I strongly encourage people to pursue, it's there. Um, There are very helpful, easy-to-read maps that show the locations of these projects. There is a, a cluster of so many projects over southeast Texas and southwest Louisiana, you can't even see the state. Um, So if if people are interested in knowing what the reality is, that's where I would start, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. When I I left Intergy, which was a phenomenal opportunity, by the way, I only left uh, to come and do this work because I... I wanted so desperately to work here in Cameron Parish. When I left, I started there, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission's website, doing research about these projects so that when I spoke about them, I was actually saying something real rather than something that I heard on the street. And the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission had the town that Cameron LNG was located in listed as Hackleberry. (laughs) Really? Yeah. H-A-C-K-L-E-B-R-R-Y. Yeah. That's a cute name. I know. Hackleberry (laughs) Finn. Um, And so here I am, this 
kid from Cameron Parish who's seeing, you know, $35 billion in capital expenditure being spent here in Cameron Parish with another $40 billion to go and just this crazy, absurd number of projects. And after all of this, you know, decade and a half of devastation and recovery and trying to be resilient, and I'm so tired. And I thought, you know what? What's the worst they can do? Mm. They can't eat me. <laughs> um, so I call the, the the person who's the manager of those dockets. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I, very nice lady, I introduced myself to her and explained to her, you know, what I do in economic development and where I'm located. And um, I said, so I have a question. I said, how do I get you guys to to correct the name of the location of one of these facilities. Oh, well, you know, that would, she starts going through this long process, it's tedious, you're gonna have to apply for it. And I was like, oh really? Because the, the place that you have it located at doesn't even exist in our parish. <laughs> it's on you. You're not the one um, correctly uh, locating where this facility is. So I send her a map and it shows Hackberry and she calls me back and she says, that's fine. You don't need to go through that whole process. We're just going to correct it. We're going to list it as Hackberry. And I thought, you know what? If the rest of the world is looking at this extremely rural, esoteric, isolated place that I'm so proud to be from, then at least I want them to get it right. Sure. Why not? Um, because the rest of the world is watching us. And who knows, there might even be a hackleberry out there somewhere and it's just going to create confusion. There might be. There might be. It could be the wrong... You know what I'm saying? Though? I mean, I'm serious. Yeah. Like, I'm not, not, you're not even joking. I mean, I know it sounds silly, but I've looked up places before and went, well, I think this is it, but it's not the name that I'm looking uh-uh. for. It's maybe in or the vicinity. Or Niblet <laughs> by go. Thornwell and Niblet's Bluff. There you go. Yeah. Could be wrong. Yeah. No, Could there's right. nothing worse. Maybe there's than... another Oren Parker, and he spells his name O R E N, and I go to meet with him, and he's not you. That's it right. It matters. That does matter. I know. It's you're right. I, I totally agree. I feel like that with businesses. I mean, when we're doing branding or anything like that, that you know, especially businesses that have multiple locations, yeah. but they're the same name, mm-hmm. that can get very hairy trying to get all that. Get correct. it right. You know, and it takes a bunch of time, and I mean, it's, it is frustrating, but it's worth doing because yes. you don't want to send people to the the wrong place. Mm-mm, not at all. Yeah, that's funny. Hackleberry. Mm-hmm. I've never heard that before. I know, right? And and our president just visited. Yeah, that's right. Was it still listed that way? No. Okay, so it was fixed before that. Yeah, I started in uh, on July seventh, twenty fourteen, working for. Um, the Cameron Parish Police Jury as Director of Economic Development. So it was almost five years ago that I made that call. But I'm glad I did. Yeah. Because it would still be listed at the, in the federal government level as Hackleberry. It's not even here. Yeah. And it's funny, it's too. I think it's kind of interesting that it could have, the way it was, uh, what you were told was that there was all these nine levels of hell that you have to yeah. go through you to do You can't just change the location of a <laughs> yeah. project. So often I feel that way in my job. I think, honestly, in what we do, that's probably our primary role is those people. It's like, hey, how can I just get this done? Yeah. And so that's mostly what we do, unfortunately. It's that's not the, always... That's the untying of the knots. Yeah. Or the the knot prevention. Not I'm prevention. I'm going to change my business card to say knot prevention well, specialist. Yeah, that's like what's, you know, the Mary undoer of knots uh, mm-hmm. painting. It's kind of like that. It makes me think of that. Mm-hmm. I love that painting. 
undoing knots is not mm-hmm. glorious work. I mean, no. there are some people who give up on knots. Mm-hmm. My dad used to call them hatchet knots. And he was like, yeah, that's a hatchet knot. And I was like, I, uh, believe it or not, I've always been fascinated by knots. Me and too. Learned, you, really? The, the yeah. nautical, yeah. Yeah, I, fascinated by knots and then also undoing them. Like, mm-hmm. you ever get a, your hands on a knot where it looks like it's so old, it almost is like a fused ball. Mm-hmm. But even those knots, if you mm-hmm. take a little stick, you can, an yes. awl, you can work those knots out. Or gold chains that are knotted. Yeah. I That's love picking apart those things, those shoestrings. I, I just, I can, mm-hmm. sit, I love seeing them come undone. Mm-hmm. I'm not hitting knots with hatchets. No, I'm I'd just rather, not going to give up. Yep, I loaned somebody a piece of rope the other day, <laughs> and uh, we were tying down a sign, and he was like, "Man, you're tying that down. You got all kinds of fancy knots." I said, "Man, there ain't no point in doing this if you're going to have to just cut it off." Mm-hmm. You know. Just, just a few Begin little. Begin with the end in mind. That's huh? right. That's right. You got to find. Got to know how you're getting out of this knot. Right. Before you get into it. It's everything we do. Yeah. This is a good conversation. Aren't you glad we did this? I am. I was really upset. I really was to have to that that day. I contacted you to tell oh, you. A, I, I really had a feeling of dread about it. I was like, Aw. Well, the show was still very young. I mean, it's still very young right now, but it was it was even younger still. And, you know, I mean, you want to do things right. If mm-hmm. you're going to do them at all, try mm-hmm. at least. And then this happened, and it was just this total fluke. And I was like, how do I tell somebody who gave me their time and their feelings and their, their all of it, all the dimensions? How hey. tight would I be if that if that was a problem? Well, I, I knew when I listened to the podcast where you talked with Matt Young that I needed to meet you because I had been hearing these really cool and amazing human beings talking about you and all the work that you had done. I was like, how can I have not met this person? You know, I don't think I'm too, con- I'm not, I, I'll tell you what it is. I'm not well connected. I mean, that's just the truth of it. I was talking to somebody the other day about this on a, a po- somebody else's show that I was lucky enough to be on. And, uh, to talk about this show, you know, it was yeah, that's a I know, show to talk about a, a show. show to talk about a show. <laughs> but you know, I said that I told them the same thing. I said I'm just not well connected because uh, the bulk of my time is spent at home. I mean, I yeah. spend a lot of time at home. I spend a lot of time producing content, and my engagement with people is mostly clients. And so once you get through engaging with clients and then producing content and then have some time for your family and then leave a little room for emergencies not much remains not a lot of no and i mean i do know people and i'm not going to be i don't want it to sound like i'm belittling them but i do know people personally who very good people too who work in the community and do great things but they fill every waking hour mm-hmm. engaged in something mm-hmm. other than home mm-hmm and some of them I've had private conversations with, and I have, I have picked up that sentiment that, that while that is um, good for them, it can also be a little bit of an addiction. Yeah. And then there's, all, and then there's a, this feeling of time passing you by at home, like your children, your children going, where's X, Y, Z, where's mom, where's dad? I don't want that. No. So sometimes I just have to miss out on being a well-connected person. As my grandmother would say, neither me. Uh, yeah. No, I, it's the the time that I have that is most valuable is when I get to spend with my loved ones, the ones that I'm most uh, that I have the most intimacy with, and that uh, you know, I, when I'm away from them, when I'm traveling, all I want to do is be with them. Um, 
and uh, I, I totally get that. And um, I've had to carve uh, or take the machete to a new part of my path where um, being at home for a day and hanging out with my husband the whole day and not answering the phone is a good, healthy thing for me. Yeah. I, I had a conversation recently with a young entrepreneurial type of person. Um, and they were a part of a committee that I was involved with. Not really that I was on the committee, but I'm working with the committee in some capacity. And there was one person who was just never at the meetings. And I'd never met them. I'd only seen their picture, but their name was on the list. And I asked why they were never there. I said, you know, I don't know if I'm supposed to be contacting them or reaching out. And the young entrepreneurial types, you could see it like a shifting of their body and their language. And they kind of chuckled under their breath and like, well, Mr. Such and Such never comes because he says his children have homework at night and he wants to do homework with his children. And the way it was said was like he and I'm I'm being completely honest. I took from what the way that was said was like. He and he's I wonder like and dot 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 and he's an idiot mm-hmm. like or almost, he's weak or he's not like us. not good enough he doesn't get it like mm-hmm. this is the entrepreneurial game this is mm-hmm. the economics of, of of the area this is what you have to do these are the sacrifices and I'm Talk just like to me in ten years you guys are twenty eight thirty two some of you have kids some of you don't sooner or later and you're not going to feel this way. You too will be saying, because this older gentleman who doesn't come to this meeting because you schedule it at mm-hmm. 6.30 at night, mm-hmm. he has chosen yes. his family. He's chosen his family. If they're in, And I, I get it. I was like, I, and once I finally did meet this person, I realized very mm-hmm. quickly, I was like, he, his priorities are correct. I, I was in his office. I saw his family. He has lots of pictures of his children. He's at their stuff. Mm-hmm. And I got it. I was like, oh, he's prioritized properly. Mm-hmm. His children matter. Mm-hmm. He knows that if he's at this meeting that he doesn't really need to be at because 80% of it's probably just a waste. Mm-hmm. A meeting ba- about a meeting? A meeting about a meeting. Mm-hmm. And he's telling them, hey, give me the 20% or 10% that I'm actually engaged with. I'll do my part. Right. I'll be efficient. And I'm going to give the rest of my time to my job and then my family. Mm-hmm. I just... I just kind of had to chuckle internally at all the little naysayers. Like he was just this old, old, mm-hmm. you know, bird-brained fool. And I, you know, and I was mm-hmm. like, man, I hope I'm a bird-brained Brain fool, fool when I'm that age too. And they yes. can just go, why is, how come Warren never comes? It's like, well, because I'm at home making a cardboard and soda bottle rocket ship with my son with a hot glue gun, mm-hmm. trying to figure out how we're going to make this thing fly, mm-hmm. you know, and that's okay. Absolutely, it's okay. That's okay. And I think, too, that there are a handful of those folks that we're talking about that have chosen not to have children, and they might never have children, and there may not be some other obligation. And for them, they are doing the thing that they need to do. I almost, if I'm being completely honest, I'm not, I mean, teach teach person his own way and path. Mm -hmm. And gifts or what have you. But I always think that. I'm like, if you don't have children and you've chosen to not have children, hey, that's a thank great, you for engaging. Thank you. Yes. yes, I mean you can actually go out and giving so much of yourself, so much time. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think about that now as a parent. I go, well, so what I'm going to have to do if I'm not that person mm-hmm. is I need to engage my children, mm-hmm. right? Shouldn't I be making yeah. them? And maybe my children won't won't have children. Maybe they'll decide to do something. 
you know? Well, so I've made a choice to any board service that I do, like Coalition of Store Coastal Louisiana, uh, Community Foundation of Southwest Louisiana, United Way, whatever. I, I think I'm on eight boards. It's ridiculous. Um, every so often I, I have to yeah. clean some, clean yeah. out and, and resign from some and, and look at what I'm really spending my time doing with board service. So my, my thing has been for a few years and is currently that if it's um, if it's not focused solely on Cameron Parish, like the Cameron Lions Club, which we give um, nearly $20,000 away a year in scholarships to Cameron Parish students, which I absolutely think it's very important to continue to do that for myself. Um, but the other board service opportunities that I pursue or that I accept when someone comes to me is if it's a regional board that seeks representation from all five parishes in southwest Louisiana and I'm the Cameron Parish person, then I, I am happy to, to be in, be of service in that way. But if there's no activity or initiative on the part of that particular board, then I need to remove myself from it. Right. I get that. Makes sense. Right. So I live here. I work here. I want the people who live and work here to feel like they have value to me. So I, I try to find ways to to help that happen and um, you know I, in my mind I've, I've given myself some time frames in which that particular organization that has asked me to participate has an opportunity with my support and my active engagement uh, and access to my network to make some things happen yeah. and if they don't then I will quietly remove myself in an appropriate fashion from that particular board. Makes sense. I listened to a um, good conversation the other day between it was in it a touchy subject but for a lot of people but I, I did enjoy the way it was presented it was a an abortion conversation and it was about pro-life or pro-choice and um, the lady doing the presentation I think one of the audience members kind of sabotaged her and was really heated and she told her she said well you care about um, these babies before they're born but then you don't care about them when they're in foster homes you don't care about them whenever they're struggling you don't you don't have any support for them after after they're born you don't care about the mother and so there was this whole list of things that they don't care about and the lady said well she said i, I just gotta I'm, I'm, i gotta put some perspective on this she said are you angry with the american heart association for not taking care of diabetes and I was like that's a good way that that's honestly kind of where I was feeling as that person was attacking her I said yeah 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 I get this I mean you you know you choose your thing so she said we are fighting for this doesn't mean we don't care about those things there are entities for that too but if we start doing this 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 and this then we can't do this the best we can and I mean only, and I, again, I'm not trying to make this. I have a, to I, remind myself of that occasionally. Yeah. Is my um, scattershot approach to try to do everything. And I know this is a little crude, but um, my husband and I have this saying, you know, you don't have to be Captain Save-A-Ho. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you Captain Save-A-Ho? I don't know. Mr. Mr. Earthworm Saver? Yeah, right. You know, that's right. What Exactly. No, it's true. Where does it end? Like, where does it end? Like, How do I really bring the most benefit 
and use the gifts that I've been given to help others? Right. Do I do I cast the widest net I possibly can and have less influence on more people and more things, or do I resist what is in my nature to to bring my focus closer to you know yeah. the, the the edges of my focus yeah, closer? And you want to wrap your arms around Absolutely. it. You can still want to, but. That's right. I bring it up all the time on the show, and it's that the whole idea of the bodhisattva, you know, and that's always appealed to me. And I know it's unpopular in a predominantly Christian, when you take a predominantly traditional Christian worldview, but the idea of, of having your heart continue to grow yes. and then living a life and going, okay, in this life, I finally discovered my heart and my compassion and my love, and I, I attained just that, that, that. And now, perhaps, whatever is me that is beyond my teeth and bones and all that could potentially come back to this world and re-engage, like we talked about engaging earlier, and re-engage, hoping, hopefully discovering my compassionate heart earlier in my life, and then also then wrapping my arms around the world in a new Even, way. Yeah. And just continue to do that. That appeals to me. Yeah. I mean, it may not appeal to everybody because, I mean, the idea of a perfect place where there is no pain and suffering is a wonderful thing. But when your heart's a hollow bowl, right, and that's what you, you feel and you, you want that bowl to keep getting bigger and bigger, I don't know. There's something appealing about that to mm-hmm. me in this life, at least from, in this body, in this brain, with my history at this time. That appeals to me. It appeals to something in my heart that you could possibly potentially continue to love people and help people mm-hmm. ongoing, just like those waves keep rolling on the beach. Yep. That's, there's something amazing about that. The weirdest time that I've ever been out here um, <clears throat> happened fairly recently. Uh, there was almost no wind. I came to the beach to run to, to my spot, which is uh, to the west of here that I frequent most. And I took pictures of it because I had never seen the Gulf so calm. It was just smooth. Yeah. But that's rare, Almost right? no, yeah, very rare. Almost no waves. Almost no wind. Almost no sound. It was so, uh, so little wave sound and um, wind sound that there's a, a little platform to the west of here that's pretty close to the... Yeah. Uh, to the coast and um uh, i stood on the here? shoreline yeah okay i stood on the shoreline and videotaped i counted how many seconds it was going off at every 15 seconds or 30 seconds and i counted so that i could start recording before it record it's it's deceptive it's much farther off of the coast than it appears um it's not the three miles like these these platforms we see out here but um it was so loud it was um amazing to me that the 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 sound pollution was so low from the not that the waves in the wonderful wind is pollute sound pollution i don't mean it that way but the interference from that horn um is typically so much that you don't really it's sort of a background noise but there was so little waves and so little wind that it was just blaring and i wanted to videotape it because i was like nobody's gonna believe me that it's this loud and it it was uh i played it back for my mom she was like, really? That's how loud it is? Wow. It's like, yeah. Just like a, a... Without the wind, without the sound right. of the... Yeah, just it was like, like one is... of the horns on the ferries on the way to Galveston. That really, you know, kind of yeah. shaking your chest uh, volume. But yeah, this is... I'm always glad to share my favorite place with people who don't come often or who've never come. 
Yeah. Um, and I hope that the people who listen to this will, will come and just see what it's like. Some of them um, might think um, it's not beautiful. Some of them will. Um, but for me, it's, um, I, was, I was born to be here, I think. Um, and so many of us are who live in Cameron Parish, I think, um, so connected to the land, even that provoked an angry giant can't force us out. We just keep coming back. And a lot of us didn't. Yeah. And we had, some of us had to make hard decisions. I, I don't, I, it's so rare that I ever meet somebody who moved away from our parish who said, oh, I'm so glad I left. I don't ever want to go back. They, they, they exist. Um, but overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly it's what I hear is, oh, God, I miss it so much. I wish I could go back. Wow. Um, so that gives me hope, you know, yeah. that they have a, there's a fondness and a special place, you know, that nothing like home sort of thing. Or, um, I'm just glad that there are people who love it as much as I do. Um, and that, that makes me feel good. When, I, when I'm not here anymore, I hope that what people remember about me was that I was kind and compassionate and um, proud, not in a sinful way, but yeah. proud that there were people who cared for this place and who uh, who loved it, and I would be considered one of them. That yeah. I would like that. I don't think you could ask for anything more. That's actually pretty wonderful. I hope people listen to this today, this conversation we had, and that they come here and they can feel... and. I hope you. I hope that they listen to it and that your words have put a perspective to consider. Awesome. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, it's fun to travel, but just come down here and like really have a staycation. Yeah, just stand. We in do the places have a, a wonderful. We have a the first hotel built in Cameron Parish uh, in probably sixty years. It's in Hackberry. It's right on the Creole Nature Trail. It's a wonderful, beautiful place with a um, an eatery and a. a bar in it that you, you wouldn't know that you were in a place like Hackberry if you stepped out of it. Really? And it's amazing. It's right off the Creole Nature Trail. I invite people to come and stay. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's always an adventure here for yeah. sure. You know, it's funny because you know, we were out here all alone and now starting to see uh, starting to see a lot of people show up. Yeah, the weekends, there are a lot more people. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's a lot more people. It would have been much more unnatural noise. You'd have heard motors and engines and ATVs and things like that. But um, usually during the week, there's not that many people out here. Yeah. So if you can take a weekday off that and come here, that's when it, it's perfection. I, I consider myself blessed to have had the, uh, the luxury to do this. Awesome. I'm glad you had this idea. I love you just. Thanks for listening to this episode of Find the Good News. If you would like to advertise on this show or sponsor an episode, just visit findthegood.news. Send me a message and we'll see about getting your business, organization, service, product, or event on the show. I deeply thank each of you again for supporting this podcast.